The U.S. Navy apparently patented, or this doctor patented, what they call UFO fusion energy. And there's also technology that can engineer the fabric of reality. Now, we did a bonus segment over at TimCast.com talking about this for members only. But we do have someone here who can help uh, talk to us about some of this tech, some of what the government has done. And so we'll get into a lot of this. There's, there's a lot of interesting questions about how it is that someone comes out and claims they have, say, potentially warp drive-like, you know, sci-fi technology. And it could be really simple. It could be the U.S. government stole it, and now they're putting it out there as if they did invent it. And that's why we're getting this breakthrough. It's just leaking of enemy technology. Well, in this vein, there is a new Cold War. No, I kind of wish there was. I'm kind of just framing it that way. But the U.S. is interested in super soldiers. There was a program where they're working on exosuits, Iron Man suits. And as we know, because this news broke a few months ago, China has actually been genetically engineering people to make them super soldiers. Now, this is a very serious topic. So we have some less serious topics we'll talk about later tonight and some kind of messed up stuff. There's another big breaking story where some kid apparently was doing a prank, I'm doing air quotes right now for those I can't see, where he walked up to a bunch of people with butcher knives in Nashville. And do you have any idea what happened? Yeah, the dude pulled out his gun and fatally shot the kid because you don't approach someone with a butcher knife. So we'll we'll definitely talk about this and a bunch of other crazy stories. We are being joined today by none other than the alien scientist. Mr. Alien Scientist, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Jeremy and uh, Jeremy Riss, and I'm from Mansfield, Mass. I grew up in uh, southeastern Massachusetts. I lived in Boston for a couple of years, and now I'm kind of living in Rhode Island. What do you What do you do? You were talking to us about crazy technology. You 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 named fifteen elements in a row just for me to like prove you knew your elements. <laughs> right. So uh, I'm I'm got a degree in physics. I went to uh, you know state university in uh, Massachusetts, and I've always been interested in science since like I was in high school. I think I read a book by Richard Feynman called uh, Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman. And Mr. Feynman, uh, is, Richard Feynman was like probably one of the greatest physicists ever. He uh, was recruited out of um, MIT at age 18 to go work on the Manhattan Project. So wow. it got me really interested in physics and like classified programs and classified physics research and just like the idea that, you know, there's smart people out there that know stuff that other people don't. But so not only do you have a general understanding of a lot of these stories about government tech, you all you also seem to be well versed in some of the more crazy out there conspiracies too. But you seem to be a bit of a skeptic on that, I guess. You you want proof. Everyone likes conspiracy theories and but you know, I like conspiracy facts. I like I like proof, you know. I think that there's some value in, you know, looking at alternative history and alternative ways of looking at our world around us and I think we, you know, need to be open-minded, but also use, you know, the right tools and have the right tools. But so. it will be fun to talk about the, the really kooky conspiracies too, just because they're fun to think about. So we'll do that. We'll do that. Yes. So, and how do you, and how I think we can use science to kind of crack through the layers, you know? Right on, right on. We're also joined by the intrepid t-shirt salesman, Luke Kaskey. Thank you very much. The term CIA, <laughs> by the way, was also something fomented by the Central Intelligence wait, wait, Agency. The term CIA? Uh, sorry. The, well, the term conspiracy. <laughs> sorry. sorry. The term conspiracy theory and theorist was fomented by, of course, the Central Intelligence Agency. Why would they do Pardoned that? Pardon me that, yes, why would they do that right after the JFK Don't assassination? Don't smear the CIA. I'm just saying it's, you know, conspiracy fact, which I'm very happy we're talking about. Also, it, with the latest technological advancement news, Bitcoin is uh, having a 
pretty good day to say Dude. the least. <laughs> a, a lot of people who listened to me a couple years ago are very happy. And if you want to listen to me, check me out uh, by signing up on my email list by going to wearechange.org in the top right hand corner and signing up. I'm gonna give more for me. I'm gonna give a shout out to Max Kaiser because when Bitcoin hit like 30k, I tweeted. If you had all listened to Max Kaiser in 2012, you would all be billionaires right now. Cause he was legit. It was like, you know, you know what? 2012, you have Bitcoin at like a dollar, two dollars. And Max is saying, buy Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin's at $47,000 per coin. It means even 2012, you put in a dollar, two dollars or whatever it was trading at five bucks. That would fight five dollar bill. Eight years later is, is nearly 50 grand. Has so there, shout out Max. Has there ever been a global? commodity that's that's expanded like that i mean it's a new technology it's being rapidly adopted so we're, we're going to get into all that bitcoin stuff too but uh ian thanks that, that yeah, reminds me I, I just shouted hey everybody hi ian crossland you know me and the, the crypto market's up like 270 billion dollars in the last five days or something something i don't know if it's elon's um super bowl push i heard he did a dogecoin commercial for the super bowl i don't no, know did he no no because oh, that was just speculation no, he just tweeted it yeah Wow. He, he tweeted that picture of him as that uh, that Lion King character holding up Simba, and it's him holding up Doge. Oh, and well, he was I, like, "You're welcome." <laughs> I'm super happy Jeremy's here because there's a lot of complicated technology we talk about on the show from time to time, and I feel like we we can only get so far without actually being scientists. So it's nice to have a scientist in the house. Well, we we also have had a bunch of these stories come out, like in December, the super soldiers in China, the the genetic engineering, and then we had the story last week where you know we ended up doing this members only segment about UFOs and this technology. And so we'll bring in somebody who uh, is, you know, you know, looks into this a bit more. So uh, Ian's here. We also have Sour Patch Lids pressing all the buttons. I am producing over in the corner, pushing buttons. And of course, before we get into that news, head over to TimCast.com to become a member. And we have a bunch of members only posts. Now, I just got to shout something out. There are people who have commented on these posts saying, why would I become a member when I've already watched this for free? These, these, these are exclusive members only posts. So the videos that are up in the members only section, you can only watch if you're a member on the website or I guess a hacker who's stolen the videos, but good for you if you figured it out, I guess. <laughs> Please don't. But, uh, yeah, if you become a member at Timcast, we have exclusive bonus segments. We'll, we're definitely going to have one later tonight. And we set this up as a shield, a safety net. The purge is real. It's here. They're getting rid of tons of channels. They're, they're nuking people who talk about certain issues. Certainly we talk about issues that you know youtube doesn't like and we try and make sure we do it in a way where we can you know kind of get around you know what they want to you know they want to nuke you but we're we're careful but it'll eventually come so become a member that way in the event we do get purged you'll still be able to find us and it helps support the show also don't forget to like share subscribe hit the notification bell and tell everybody if you really do like this podcast uh, spread the word it really does help and also let me add make a comment on this video comments help a lot in the algorithm that's the word on the street. Well, it, it, that's that's that that's just you know, comment if you want to comment. You know, we want we want yeah, we, yeah. we don't we don't want don't force yourself. No, we want we want real people to engage. So love life. Let's 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 check out this story. So so we have this uh, uh, update from Forbes. What is behind the U.S. Navy's UFO fusion energy patent? Now I think when they say UFO and they show pictures, they're just they're just marketing it. It's it's brand marketing. And like we used a very similar photo because it's 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 the only way to basically say like, hey, here's this technology. It's most reminiscent of UFOs. But you got to understand a lot of this talk about UFOs is old talk. So what's this new tech? Forbes writes, when Dr. Salvatore Cesar Paez, an aerospace engineer at the Naval Air Warfare Center Aircraft Division, filed a patent for a plasma compression fusion device in 2019, it was either a giant breakthrough 
or mad science. According to the patent application, the miniature device could contain and sustain fusion reactions capable of generating power in the gigawatt, 1 billion watts or 2 terawatt, 1 trillion watts range or more. A large coal plant or mid-sized nuclear power reactor by comparison produces energy in the 1 to 2 gigawatt range. The revolutionary invention by Dr. Paez, if real, would produce near unlimited clean energy from something no larger than a sports utility vehicle. Dr. Paez's fusion device is among a handful of outlandish technologies dubbed the UFO patents that have in some shape or form been pursued by the U.S. Navy. They go on to mention that uh, the, uh, this guy says he's written before with some skepticism over Dr. Paez's purported compact fusion reactor. The physicist appears to have bona fide credentials, including a PhD from Carnegie Mellon, and published some of his work, while much is presumably classified. He's been employed by, by, by the Pentagon for decades, and this isn't the first patent filed in his name. And all of them appear centered around what he calls the Paez effect. Dr. Paez posits that by controlling the accelerated spin or vibration of electrically charged matter, high energy electro- electromagnetic fields can be produced. One proposed use for such fields is an electromagnetic field generator device, which would be applied to alter the trajectory of earthbound asteroids over a period of time. While the patent makes clear that such a device would work only on small asteroids of under roughly 100 meters in length or less, it isn't hard to grasp the interest of any defense agency in providing contingencies for such a scenario. They say his internal inertial mass reduction device is one of the most extraordinary patents This technology suggests manipulation of quantum field fluctuations, which could reduce a vehicle's inertial and gravitational mass, allowing it to travel at hitherto unseen speeds. The reason the speed of light is something of a universal speed limit is that mass increases to infinite as one reaches it, demanding infinite energy to continue moving. The ability to reduce mass could have incredible implications for the futures of space travel, only faster than light. Speeds of travel would allow the humanity to uh, allow humanity to venture outside the solar system. They go on to mention he's got a high temperature superconductor and last but not least, a high frequency gravitational wave generator. Now, all of this sounds like magic, to be completely honest. I can read through this and it just sounds like science fiction. But this guy's got legit credentials. And what other critics have pointed out is in order to actually get the patents, there has to be a prototype. So in some fashion this guy's had to have proved he's got this technology so what does this mean are we looking at the greatest scientific mind of our generation or is this just some crackpot who made a bunch of crappy patents and then for some reason someone's rubber stamped them i don't know jeremy so it says right in there in the article by by um it's tyler rogaway and brett tingley of the drive.com they, they've been doing a lot of great reporting on some of these you know technologies that are being declassified and stuff. Um, this one's of particular interest. Um, thing about the, the pays thing, right, is it, what really confuses me is that they, I know they've spent more than $500,000 investigating this, that, you know, they spent 500 million to build a rail gun for the Navy. Um, if they're really interested in this technology, they're going to be spending more than a half a million. 500 million for a rail gun? Yes, that's what the rail gun. That's what the rail guns cost. Yeah, so. but is that just like the government wastes money all the time? You know, you know it's it's hard to say because it's it's either government is very wasteful as we've seen with NASA. That's they're buying their rockets from SpaceX because the private industry does it cheaper. Um, so there's that, but there, there's also um, the issue of subject matter experts. This is how DARPA tends to do things. I was just reading the book downstairs on the the, the brain. You know, DARPA. 
Pentagon's brain, which is DARPA. And the way they do things is they get subject matter experts or people who are looking into these kinds of things, and then they give them funding uh, for their research. And they, they, that's, that's how these projects are picked up. They find guys like Pays, who write, uh, he wrote his thesis on the, this um, very interesting thesis paper on bubble reactions and, and uh, you know, his theory of warping space-time. And so they, they funded him. But I guarantee, I know that this is not the only research that's been done in this. The research on this goes back to um, the mid-1990s to a guy named uh, Bernard Haish, who worked at Caltech University. And he had a contract with Lockheed Martin Skunk Works to, um, and wrote a bunch of papers with um, Hal Putoff and a, and a number of other gentlemen back in the, uh, the late mid-90s on this sort of uh, space-time metric warping uh, theory of, of inertia and of, of what mass is and how to get moment mass and momentum and how to alter those things using um, refractive indexes of materials and, and, and stuff like that. So there's been some research going on to this that goes back qu quite a ways that's um, less talked about than, than sort of this stuff. Well, so let, let, let's just get to the brass tacks. Is this real? Do you think it's real? Well, I don't know the, that if, if it was real, the U.S. Navy wouldn't put their goods right out there for us to see. They wouldn't just patent it. And th in fact, you know, they might change a couple things in the patent to make the, you know, technology inoperable or not give out secrets. We have to look at that part about, you know, where it said they got the pan patents granted through warning of similar Chinese advances. And when we look at those similar Chinese advances, I, I, I sent you guys two papers in particular um, on that list that I sent you to to two, two of the papers that are written by uh, China, Chinese universities and a lot of Chinese researchers on this. And it's related to um, what are called optical phenomena and, and squeeze states. Um, so they take a parametric, a parametric generator, they oscillate it at uh, twice the resonant frequency, and it creates these uh, squeezed states. And these... So got to slow down for me. What does that mean? <laughs> so this is... This is, uh, this is it, what it means is that if we take a photon plus a photon, um, the, the Feynman diagram for, for that, it annihilates, and that's where we get our graviton from. So we, we know that gravity is an interaction of, of photons and, and the way that photons interact with matter, and that they're trying to change this through a, a warping of uh, the refractive index of, of light in the, in the, around these materials. So they're trying to make stuff float? There's apparently they can make stuff float, and then there's rumors that this was reverse engineered from alien technology. That the U.S. Navy has had kind of this yeah. technology for years. That they, they, they didn't know how it worked because it's operating on quantum principles and, and quantum mechanics. It's not we easy. can't see it. We can't see it. There's, there's something really. I, I want to say something. I was I was reading once about UFO technology and about what would happen if humans actually discovered a flying saucer in like the 50s. Right. And they said if you gave, I don't know why they chose this guy, Christopher Columbus a nuclear submarine and infinite resources, they yeah. would never figure out how to reproduce it. Yeah, it's I, an iPhone in Rome. Yeah, yeah the I same remember, idea. I remember hearing that kind of conversation on the Joe Rogan podcast with Bob Lazar, and he was specifically talking about some of the technological advancements that we're kind of hinting at here. And what you said, I was actually thinking, not the smart part, but the part specifically <laughs> uh, about if the U.S. government had such technology, why would they release it to the public? It would be counterintuitive for them to do this, especially if they had something that was 
was advanced, good, useful. I think this most likely, in my own personal opinion, is a part of a either one, a larger psyop against countries like China, against countries like Russia, or two, a larger call for other scientists to come in and say, hey, we're working on this. This is what we got. W- what does the scientific community think about this? What's the reaction? Can anyone help us build this? Because that's essentially where they want to go, in my opinion. This new kind of Star Wars kind of like uh, uh, powers and authority, whether it's light speed or lightsabers, whatever it is. Well, I mean, we have space force. What lightsabers? Well, they're talking about... Uh, we don't the, sword fight anymore, Luke. Uh, well, maybe. Uh, you never know. With te- technological advancements, we can't even conceive where the future's going to go, just like Christopher Columbus couldn't utilize yeah. a nuclear submarine. It's the idea so, of a cell so, phone in Rome. They wouldn't be able to... But if you had a lightsaber and someone else had a, a Glock, <laughs> just shoot the guy. Well, the bullets. Well, maybe maybe the lightsaber deflects... Like, get maybe, out of maybe here. Maybe it's a lightsaber lasers. shield... Uh-huh. Uh, uh, again, we're talking about a lot of hypothetical stuff. But when you look at the U.S. military, they're usually far more advanced than, of course, technology that we know of. And they don't release it. They keep it as close to them well, as they not- can because they use it for war. Sort of the military. It's like higher tier classified stuff. But but I'll, I'll mention there's a funny scene in the, in the movie, The Men Who Stare at Goats. So Luke mentioned The Men Who Stare at Goats. And then I ended up watching the movie, which is more of a comedy than anything. But there's a funny scene where there's like one dude is talking to his commanding officer and he's like, we, we need to start a psychological or a, a psychic spy unit. And he's like, why? And he's like, well, or no, no, no. What he said was Russia has started doing paranormal research and psychic spying. And he's like, why? Because of our attempted uh, our attempts to telepathically telepathically communicate with a submarine. And then he was like, why did we attempt to telepathically communicate with the submarine? We didn't. It was a rumor created by the French. But the Russians think it's real, and they think the story that it's fake is a, is, is a lie, so they started doing it. So now we need to start doing it to counter them, because they think we're doing it, so now we're actually going to do it. And then that's the joke of the yeah. movie, I guess. And it's not even the military. It's a lot of contractors now. So right. when you look at you know the military-industrial complex, that is the pretty much the key of private enterprise that's working in a quasi-government way, just like the Federal Reserve is working with all the big banks in this kind of quasi way. But but in reality, you know, there's also fears of a lot of this technology being leaked, a lot of this technology being sold to the highest bidder, especially when it's just in contractors. And there were fears of that in the Manhattan Project too. But now now a, a, yeah. a twelve-year-old can go and look up how to make an atomic bomb. That doesn't mean they can yeah. have one though. Yes, of course. Why, why can't he? Because you need he needs uranium. People. You need uh, Oak Ridge. You need a uranium refinery yeah. or plant. You need resources. You and, need... and the way that the Manhattan Project came about, they had hundreds of thousands of people working on it, and, and only, I, I believe, a dozen people knew what was happening there. A lot of people are saying, you know, conspiracies aren't true, but, but if you look at the way the Manhattan Project, which, by the way, was also forged at the Bohemian Grove, the way that was kind of created with so many people involved, not ma- all these people, majority of people, not knowing what they were working on, and building this nuclear weapon. And, and we, we, we have to understand, we're moving towards a new technological era where we're building something that's going to be way more powerful than nuclear weapons, that's going to have way more severe of an impact, and the implications here are severe, to say the least. When, when you're talking about um, refractive index, and actually, so talking about the warp drive, what they're building, would you call it a warp drive? Well, that's what I'm talking about. The, the warp drive is a good ver- a good word for it, but it's kind of like Star Trekky. You know, it, it, some people call it anti gravity. So I'm working with a group right now um, to try to you know bring these scientists out and bring more information out of the out of the woodwork on this because we look at what's in the public sphere. We got Sal Pays and him talking about these U.S. Navy patents, but I know for a fact that there are, is more research that's been done into this, and I have a huge list of scientist names who have worked on all kinds of this stuff. Um, so what we've done is we've kind of created our conference 
we, we actually got a hold of all these email lists. I've been tracking down these people for the past decade and following a lot of their work because this is what I've been into is, is all this type of research. You know, where does DARPA go to recruit their next projects out of? They're, they're, they go to these conferences where these PhDs and these scientists go and present ideas and then they pick the best ones to fund. And um, that's so I've kind of like gone over a lot of that research and we, we got actually all those DARPA email lists and we just emailed all those people and we invited them to our own conference and we started our own conference. Um, this guy, Tim Ventura, uh, AmericanAntigravity.com out in California, he kind of got me into researching anti-gravity back in like 2002. And, um, and I'm now we're working together to try to, we have a conference where we're actually bringing people out of the woodwork to come and talk about what they worked on because most of it's declassified now or, and it's becoming so, out there and, and well known, and it has such great implications for the whole future of our planet that you know more people are coming out with it. You mentioned something interesting before we started the show that you have this guy, Doctor Pace or Pius or however you pronounce it, that he he's got a bunch of patents that are kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like an individual would focus on one specific thing, but he's got a bunch of different things, right? Right. So we consult subject matter experts because it's the information is too voluminous for any one person to have just massive knowledge of all this stuff. So we consult like people who are really into a certain subject. But the fact that he published a nuclear reactor and this space-time warping thing, condensed matter physics and nuclear physics, it's kind of kind of gives a hint that it might be um technology that the US Navy got through espionage. Or some um, other so, way, right? That they have a secret program building it and they're using Pies as like the not the fall guy, but basically the patent funnel. Leaking it out. Yeah. But I I would imagine that if this was developed by US science of some sort, they no longer need it. They, they've developed something substantially more powerful. And now they're like, okay, let's give it to the civilians and then see what they do with it. And then, you know, they'll ramp up production and they'll fix things or whatever. Using the patent itself, could we replicate? Um, if you're saying change the refractive, and from what I understand we talked earlier is you have a material like a spacecraft uh, hull. You hit it with acoustic vibration and then you hit it with a laser to change the refractive index of the material. There's a lot of different experiments we're trying and a lot of different theories. The problem is that, you know, we have, we have lot, we have almost too many theories at this point about how it works. And, and we're, we're at this kind of standstill in physics where we, we're working with these, you know, quantum gravity researchers, guys who are trying to, you know, work on unifying general relativity and quantum field theory to create an, uh, a theory of everything, essentially, like Stephen Wolfram's doing and some of these other guys, uh, Garrett Lisi and, and, uh, and Eric Weinstein. Like those guys Eric are Eric Weinstein's doing, working on this? Yeah, he's he's geometric unity theory, right? Really? I've heard yeah. that. I didn't know he that. He presented a whole yeah, thing to awesome. the Royal the Royal Society on, on this. Wow. And um and he's no idea. he's had numerous talks with Garrett Lee. There's a recent one on We're Dr. talking about Brett Weinstein's brother? Yeah, he's, yeah. he's wow. big into um uh I'll come up with the the word earlier. Polytopes right and um ge- like ge- it's ge- like subtle geometries that make up like the core of our universe. You could look up coxeter dinkin diagrams if you want to get into some of the stuff um or or polyhedra polyhedral combinatorics okay it's ways that shapes and and different types of uh, polygons and things fit together it's like the huh. subtle innate geometry and they found that when they when they build this puzzle of it they create this thing that very looks very much like particle physics and me- and me- and mimics a lot of these things but they haven't put all the pieces together yet but i want to say that when we do when we do have a theory of everything, we're going to have anti-gravity. We're going to be able to understand exactly how gravity works. And so we're going to but be a able theory, to... But a theory of everything, wouldn't that allow us to basically build anything? Like if we know, understand how everything works, we'll know the confines of the yeah. universe. We'll be able to just start... And that's the thing that they talk about with uh, Jack. So Jack Filet, um, did, he's a scientist that's been studying, you know... Um, 
aliens really for for decades now and he's coming out with this new thing with a guy named dr gary nolan where they're actually taking pieces of alleged roswell material and uh these alleged alien materials that people have recovered or have out there and i'm, I'm sure there's people out there with these materials and bringing them to laboratories and analyzing them with this um approach where they can actually like look at the isotopes and he what he said is that you know instead of working with you know a hundred and you know, 90, 90 something elements like we work with on our periodic table, they work with all the isotopes of all these elements in between. So they're working with like 200 puzzle pieces rather than building stuff with only 90 pieces. What would be an example of an isotope? So an isotope is just, uh, so you have atomic number. That's what goes up on the periodic table. That's the number of protons in your nucleus. And that gives you your properties of the charge and um, the properties of the atom. But then you have something called neutron number, and the neutrons are kind of stabilize the, the nucleus. And you can you can kind of like throw a couple extra neutrons in, and it doesn't change the charge, so it doesn't change the fundamental properties of of the thing. It just makes it a little bit heavier. And when it's a little bit heavier, it spins. Uh, its quantum spins are a little bit more slow and sluggish, and so that kind of affects the like some of the properties of these things. And there's weird things that have happened. Like one one of the examples is they prove that brain our brains actually work on quantum uh, phenomenon. The quantum phenomenon is active in our brain because if we give people lithium salts, but we use a different isotopic version of lithium, it has a slightly different spin ratio and it affects people adversely with their behaviors. And um, so that proves that there's some sort, some quantum mechanical process in the brain that's affected by this different, this heavier the spin of the, of, of the by the quantum element. behaviors of these particles. And they're even finding that um, birds are able to tell magnetic north through a, a molecule called cryptochrome that exists inside of their, their retinas. It's literally a molecule in their eye that sense, it's super sensitive to these differences in the spins. And one side will spin differently in a magnetic field, and that's the molecule that they, they're using, that scientists have identified birds as using to tell where magnetic fields are. So I want to go back to the, this, this idea that this one dude shouldn't know all this stuff. Right. So, and there's more people that do know it. And what we're doing is we, we set, we set up a conference to kind of bring these people out of the woodwork. And we say, like, look, if you know something, come to APEC and present. We give you an hour to present your topic. And then we have an hour in Q and A where we have PhDs. We have DARPA people that show up in our conference and, and, and cross analyze and examine these people. So it's kind of like but, Project Veritas, but for science or Project. <laughs> I, I like the, like the Orion project or the disclosure project, but just for science, you know. So, but let's so, so yeah. only ask then, do you, do you think, uh, in your opinion, you, you, you know a lot about these scientists and things they're working on. Do you think that the U.S. and China both have extremely advanced technology we've never even conceived of? I don't think we have it yet because the missing puzzle piece I really see is kind of like the atomic bomb. You can't build an atomic bomb without, you know, re refineries and without centrifuges and stuff. That's mm -hmm. why we keep that's why Stuxnet targeted Iran and the thing going on yeah, in Iran. Yeah, centrifuges. Right. We're trying to prevent them from the, having the means. Oh, you so know this is I mean? a bummer. You so, know, so, well, well, so, so I think the material science is not quite there yet. Right, right, right. So but, that, bum, that kind of bums me out because I want to just, you know, want to believe it, right? But the Chinese, right. The Chinese, I think, are significantly more advanced in the, than us in this area. In fact, those two patents that I gave you just shows how much research they've been doing into this, um, these optical materials. And these metamaterials and um, and some of these. What what are they missing and what would they need to build the machine to produce this effect? I think it's going to take a consolidated effort of a lot of different people because we're going to need material scientists who are going to take advice from our physicists who tell them this is the kind of materials I need 
can you make this for me? And then we need the material scientists to build those materials. And then we kind of need to work that out in, in order to, you know, actually do experiments to test these different effects. But um, like, as you're saying before about, you know, it's science fiction stuff is, is like quickly becoming reality. Like all this comic book stuff from, you know, the, the forties and, and the fifties, you know, with Captain America, the first super soldier, right? Basically Captain America, you read the book, they, it's when they discovered steroids <laughs> and they like, oh, we can it's give literally a story about a dude that irradiated and gave steroids, right? Yes. And they were like, they created, he was the first super soldier. And then you talk about the, the Incredible Hulk. Well, what was the Incredible Hulk? You watch the movie and it's his dad was doing all these science experiments. He was taking DNA and taking little strips of DNA off all these different animals, like the starfish regeneration thing, the, uh, these, these exoskeletons and from these crabs and stuff. And, and then he injected himself with this thing. And then he accidentally had a kid. And was that the original story? Or that was, well, that's the in the movie. I that's, know. that's the, that was like a 2008 movie. I think I yeah. made that movie. Yeah, but that's what, um, one of the things I was doing. No, I think you know the the original Incredible Hulk was when we discovered uh, we started you know messing around with, yeah with radiation and 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 radio, radioactive waves and things like that. Yeah, we ran with gamma gamma waves. I think. I was just talking with Andreas about all the um, stuff hidden in Ducktales in Disney cartoons and stuff, and you know it's it's kind of amazing when you look back at some some of these ideas that they had for the future in, in science fiction in these comic books back then. Like, for instance, Captain America's shield was made out of vi this element yeah, vibranium. vibranium, and um, you know this this there's some kind of truth to these kinds of things. There's some overlap with stories, and I think that maybe vibranium might be. Um, might be thallium. It might be um, hafnium. Now, what, what, are the, what are those? So, uh, hafnium is. If you look up the hafnium controversy, um, you'll find that hafnium can be used to create gamma ray lasers and also EMP devices and stuff. And there was like, there's some controversy concerning. But, but the, Captain America's shield absorbs all of the energy and displaces it. That's like the idea of his shield, right? Right. So that one of the things they did with hafnium is they um, they actually used it in the H bomb. So one of the guys that was working on that, um, John Wheeler um, and Teller, Edward Teller, they basically designed the inner core of the H-bomb to be a, a hafnium mirror that would basically, a gamma ray laser that would reflect all these rays back in on itself. like a, And that's part of the um, mechanism for how the hydrogen bomb worked, was uh, that it used hafnium in its construction. And that was that's sort of like a little bit related because it, it literally takes all this energy, absorbs it, and then releases it all at once, which oh, is crazy. very similar. That's like that's like a Black Panther suit in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's so, really interesting looking back at you know Hollywood and entertainment just a few decades ago, trying to kind of envision what the future is. Some of them you know hit the nail on the head to me, in my opinion. Demolition Man got a lot of things right. Dude, nailed in, it, including <laughs> I love Zoom that calls. Movie. Uh, I think they're the ones that like first kind of did that, but but other ones obviously are, are very wrong. I'm still waiting for the three seashells, though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm how waiting. He doesn't know how to use the seashells. I'm waiting for the curse machine. I mean, it's it's already in effect somewhat. If you if you, oh, that's if really, you curse, he, he, you get he, a fine automatically. But, but then he walks up, to, it prints a ticket, so he just starts swearing, and then he t rips it and goes yes. to the bathroom with it. <laughs> it, it. Yeah, if we if we if we curse, we're going to lose our monetization as well. So uh, so there's other things that you know are right aren't aren't right. But from from your kind of perspective, especially from your conferences, what are some of the things presented that you saw that you could speak about that are truly inspiring or the most eye-opening to you. Well, hold on, let me rephrase yeah. that. What was the craziest? That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I want to sound like, fancy. Like, I want to see a guy pull out like a lightsaber, or a laser gun, and yeah, hoverboard. What's, what's the craziest thing you saw presented? Ah, oh, 
I mean, you could come back. I don't know. Just, there's been a lot of good. The there's spot. been a lot of interesting presenters, but I think like I almost like feel like the best is yet to come because we're, we're, the people that really know the stuff. We've had a lot of these guys show up, and they're like, "Look, I, I worked on a lot of this stuff in classified programs. I can't talk about what I worked on, but I can sit in the background and say hot or cold." <laughs> you know, you, so that's kind of. So, I remember when we had uh, when we saw uh, Joe Rogan had Bob Lazar on. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. For those that aren't familiar, he's this dude who what was he a contractor, right? Yes. And then yeah, he, he, he worked he, at Maison Physics facility for a brief time in 81. He said that he saw like this, this like machine, like there was like an object where he couldn't get his hands, like it was a force field almost, something like that. Do you think that guy was telling the truth? Well, I've done a lot of investigations into Bob. Um, actually, a friend of mine named Dan Bankert, right uh, about 50 minutes north of here in PA, um, he did a lot of, lot of this research and he's really good friends with John Lear and George Knapp and and all those guys from the original story and stuff. And the Bob Lazar case is an interesting case. Um, but we've done a ton of research on, on it. And, um, you know, we'd look at the actionable intelligence and the science and stuff. And, you know, what we call element 115 in this, in sort of our jargon is, uh, what's called unobtainium. And unobtainium is like saying that, oh, well, you can have anti-gravity, but it's this element that can only be created in supernovas and really, really far galaxies. And we can't create it in our, you know, labs and stuff. It's, it's basically saying that, yeah, you can have anti-gravity, but you need this high-hanging fruit that you'll never, ever reach, is kind of the idea with, with that element 115 story. That's what, that's um, what, that's what he was saying. Like there's a lot of controversy element. with that story. They said that he predicted element 115. It's not that hard to predict a higher number. elements in the periodic <laughs> table. It's literally arithmetic. You're literally just adding protons. You know, it's anyone who can add. So I, I heard that there's a... Uh, I, I was just but, reading... Uh, no, oh, I'm sorry. Not. I want to go back on Bob Lazar, but uh, but Bob Lazar, we'd like to invite Bob actually to APEC, you know, because I've never seen Bob give an interview with any scientist. He's never given interviews with physicists. It's always like, it always seems like the interviews Joe he Rogan. does gives are controlled and all the questions are pre-screened and stuff. No way Joe pre-screened any of that stuff. No. That's too much. That's like, that's not the kind of For a two hour long conversation? Yeah, no way. I had a lot of people like saying that, oh, he's involved with a deal with Netflix and that he's getting paid to promote this because let, that, let, let's face it, after J- Bob Azlar was on Joe Rogan, his film on Netflix got like a million hits. Sure, know? sure. But like, I know Joe. There's no way Joe was like, here's a list of, qu-, like they gave him a list of questions. Nah, he wouldn't do that. I mean, but, even the best actor wouldn't like, remember two hours of script. But, but, right? but, but, but let me just he's point out. He's been saying it for tw- 30 years. No, now. no, for sure, for sure. But like, Joe could ask whatever he wants. Like, but Joe, he doesn't know what to ask. He only got sure, into sure. the case recently. But that's that's just a safe interview for Bob then, right? You know yeah. what I mean? Like they, yeah. they they put Bob in a situation where they know mm-hmm. that Joe as a layman is going to ask only safe questions based on what he's what he's seen on the TV. It's and, really curious that he's he he got an opportunity right after he came out in like the early '90s to present and before Stanford University to a team of physicists, and he turned that down. He also initially said that there was an alien. Remember that? Like yeah. His initial story was that he saw an alien and later said it must have been a puppet. And oh. I'm like, why say that anyway? Did they really do that? I don't know if I believe it. I, I feel like they wanted to feed this guy disinformation. They had him working on like high-tech drones that they had recovered from Tesla tech or that they'd been working on since they raided Tesla's office. And they invited these scientists in. They were like, just in case they go rogue, we're going to feed them a bunch of crap so that they look like idiots. We're going to tell them it came from Zeta Reticuli, that there's a new element that you yep. can't find, and that there's aliens involved. Well, yeah, this is th- there's lots of theories, you know. Well, like, like I was just saying, the, the joke from the men who stare at goats, where it's like the Russians think we did it because the French started a rumor and then we denied it, but they think we're lying. It's like, 
with, with Bob Lazar, he tells this story. Uh, for those unfamiliar with the story, it's, 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 there's a documentary about it. Many of you are probably familiar. It's on Joe Rogan. And he talked about how he saw all of this tech, this crazy technology, anti-gray. saw aliens and then later said, well, is that maybe a puppet or something? But many people speculate, what if it was a Potemkin research base? That the idea was bring in this contractor, bring in a bunch of them, show them very ridiculous magic tricks, hmm. tell them it's real so they believe it, and then wait for one of them to leak it. That way, our enemies at the time, Russia, the Soviet Union, would hear the U.S. has crazy weapons. Better not attack them because they got anti-grav and they're working with the aliens. Do you know the Russians, after, after Bob Lazar came out, they spent about a uh, billion dollars looking into Element 115 and trying to create super heavy elements? The Russians did. There the Russians go. created Element 115. It's called Moscovium. Because really? it was in, it was discovered in in Moscow. What is what can it do? Time. Can it make it, you? Levitate? It has about a thirty two second, uh, you know, half life, and it decays, and and it doesn't. It there's no stable isotope like Bob claimed yet found. If there is one tomorrow, then I you know. But right now we don't. But right now we don't we have that. Well, well, the U.S. Um, government has a long history of playing psychological tricks and well, just think about this. on their scientists that work with them. So the real secrets they wouldn't allow to leak out. Okay. Well, well, depends. Um, I mean, we, we, can't make, we can't make definitive statements like that because, again, anything's possible, right? Yeah. Or they leak it, or they or, or they bury it. Thirty years later, it would be buried. Well, like I'm just saying, disinformation is something that the U.S. government uses many times, and they steer scientists, tell them they're working on one thing when they're working on another. That was thing. the Manhattan, Manhattan Project. I, I, exactly. That's exactly and, what it was. And, and it could be that Bob Lazar was told certain things that weren't true, uh, but his story was that he was a part of a team trying to reverse engineer this alien technology that was given to them. Right. And, and if one scientist him. doesn't do it, another scientist is going to try, and they keep swapping him in and out. That's the story. It's just for he was working on like eight different context. craft. I think he he yeah. said he saw eight different different shapes of craft. Right. There's a lot of lot of there's a big long story. There's a lot of details involved and stuff. And like like I said, we go after actionable intelligence. Um, the research I did into S four, I found that there's no evidence of a base at Papoose Lake. We have the satellite photos of the of the facility. There's never been touched. Um, going back decades, so that we haven't found evidence of a base at Papoose Lake, but we did find an, a site for, which is at Tonopah Test Range, which is like literally right next to Area 51. So a lot of, on a lot of these maps that show like Area 51 and S4, they're really talking about site four, which is at Tonopah, which is where a ton of these, uh, you know, electronic countermeasures and, uh, other technologies were worked on. This is where, you know, they built the, and flew the F-117 and, and the stealth fighter and the bombers and stuff. I saw, I saw a story not that long ago, maybe a couple months ago. And it was talking about these strange sightings of strange vehicles appearing near a naval base. And the funny thing was, it was like, we, you know, these soldiers are saying they see it. And they're, they're reporting when they're doing these training missions. They see these strange craft. And now they're publishing it. And everyone's like, this is it. There's aliens. And then they casually mention in all these articles that only, you know, 70 miles away is an advanced naval research base. And I'm like... <laughs> so they're, they're seeing, they're just yeah. well, they're just seeing aircraft made by uh, th th themselves. Is it? And they're not cl they're not high enough security clearance to know what it is, so they record it. And then why is it that so many higher ups would dismiss the stories initially? Because the, the stories apparently was like was that they were finally now going to take these claims seriously in case it was a security threat. Well, listen, if you're a higher up and then you hear a story where it's like I saw a crazy vehicle and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, the, the research base is 50 miles away, they're flying something around. You right. wouldn't care. You'd, you'd ignore it. That could be a weakness for us because it really could be an external threat. So maybe it's good they're actually looking into it, but it also could be just completely redundant. Oh, yeah, we better investigate ourselves for the project we're working Is on. Is it possible that there are craft that are so lightweight and that are being moved around like by a laser or by a magnet or something? 
All right, so there's lots of different technologies. There's, uh, there's a guy from NASA, um, Lightcraft International. He started a company. His name is Leek Mirabu. It's L-E-I-K-M-Y-R-A-B-O. And uh, he was working on exactly what you're talking about, um, microwave propelled craft, where they actually fire, it was called Project Sky Vault, and they fire microwaves at um, be- beamed craft and uh, light craft. And they're able to, like, and they developed this into a technology where they can actually, like, blast these um, and ionize the air surfaces flowing across wings of aircraft so they can literally move the aircraft and take control of the aircraft by like warping the air currents around the aircraft themselves so they can take control of like an there's a whole patent we have on it, taking control of an enemy aircraft using this microwave lasers to ionize the gas of, of the air going across their wings to, to disrupt its flight and um, then also there's what are called phase conjugate mirrors um, which are really strange optical property and um they have radar absorbent paint made out of these kinds of materials. In fact, like the paint that they used on the stealth fighters was actually a meta material made of barium titanate. And they actually wow, mixed really? it in the paint so that it was radar absorbent. And, um, so would that not appear on a radar? I thought, I thought the goal of stealth was that it, it looked like a bird. Right. It's that cross sectional. They, they basically, the goal is they took that formula for the cross sectional radar area of a, of a, um, object and they figured out how to minimize the the parts of it to in that equation to make things disappear and and uh one of the things that they found was like that the flat areas and also they well the v2 was built actually by uh these two um german scientists uh or aviation guys um that were um working on it uh what were their names the uh there was a there was a team of brothers and they built the flying wing the first flying wing and it's actually like they were calling it German stealth technology because actually the stealth was actually a byproduct. It wasn't actually an intentional part of the design. They just, because they built a flying wing, it didn't have that long fuselage and that long, because that's where the radar was, was bouncing off of on their planes, they found. So they did a lot of research into radar and radar signal returns. And that's a lot of the research that was actually done out at Area 51. And it was headed by the CIA on, under a project called Project Rainbow, which was headed by a guy named Edward Mills Purcell. And Edward Mills Purcell was um, a physicist who won the Nobel Prize in the 60s for discovering nuclear magnetic resonance mm. and the fact that atoms are, are basically like spinning magnets and they have resonances and they have, you know, different, um, different I, rotations. I, 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 I got to be honest, Jeremy. You made it a, a, an extremely important point early in the show, and it kind of just uh, sucked all the fun out of it. You know, when you mentioned the need for the factories to build the nuclear weapons. You know, so, so I'm, I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not saying people should build nuclear weapons. Let me make my point. You know, I, I said, how can, why can't a 12 year old have a nuclear bomb? You said, you got to have the factories, the refineries. So that means not, not, it's not absolute, it's not necessarily true, but when we're looking for the production of hovercrafts and UFOs and spaceships and alien tech, you'd see the factories and the industry, you'd see the industrial facilities, you'd recognize them in satellite images. Even if they blur them, they they would still need way more production facilities than what we can actually see. I think they're underground. I mean, maybe, but then it's also the idea is that the U.S. has how many factories built underground to produce this stuff, and we don't see stuff going in or out. Like, wouldn't we even see where they were underground? They'd have to bring stuff down there, right? I mean, we have a massive, I mean, trillion-dollar military-industrial complex, uh, you know, budget that, of course, spends money absolutely recklessly, and there's trillions of dollars that's missing. Who knows? I mean, I think it's in the realm of possibility. But going back to, to World War II in Germany, 
German scientists were working on some pretty crazy radical concepts. I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, there was even an image of a saucer that German scientists were trying to configure as a way as to, to, to make it fly and make it as a flying object. I don't know if you've seen that. But then, yep. of course, we have to understand under Operation Paperclip, a lot of these top Nazi you know, scientists, a lot of these German World War II scientists were particularly taken from Germany, brought into the United States, brought into the CIA, brought into the Pentagon, brought into uh, building the U.S. military industrial complex. Didn't, didn't yeah. we do that with a Japanese research team? What's, what was the name of that Japanese research team that was like torturing people? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, the um, station number something or project, yeah, they project were, something. 51 or something. Yeah. They would put their arm out like into the cold yes. and then while they were alive and just like watch their arm freeze off. Just really crazy stuff. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the stuff we uh, we learned about hypothermia came from this Japanese research unit that was doing live human experimentation. Creepy yeah. stuff, man. And also the German scientists that were doing a lot of experiments on humans too, uh, as well. Uh, I forget the German and the U.S. government, so, yeah. especially with you know what we know from acid and what we don't know from all the other kind of classified stuff that still is secret to us. What unit seven thirty one. Yeah, what unit seven thirty one. That was it. Um, so about the about the saucer theory about Germany. So the Germans actually were looking into uh, something called the Thule Society and and the Vril. Yes, I, I remember hearing the Thule Society. Yeah. And so the Germans had apparently some kind of top secret research going on into this these ideas. And of course the Germans were the ones who you know where quantum mechanics was born. You know it was it was uh, of course discovered in Italy. Uh, the first sustained nuclear reaction was um, done in Italy by Enrico Fermi. But a lot of the theory was laid down by German scientists like Heisenberg and um, and I. Einstein, in fact, and uh, it's really um, it really lost Hitler the war because he went after the Jewish population because that drove out a lot of the most yeah. uh, si the brilliant scientific minds of the time in in Germany and caused those people to come to the U.S. And when we got wow. Einstein and we got Heisenberg, yeah. it was like. All right, it's all, it's like we have all your brain power. Yeah, this, this is what happens when you have an ideology-based society right. rather than a merit-based society. And I'm mentioning this because many people say what's happening right now, especially within the U.S. government, especially within the establishment, is pushing, uh, uh, you know, the ideology over merit. Oh, uh, right. dude, dude, yeah. yes. And all their best so, people are leaving, and they're coming to APEC and presenting all this information yeah. out to the public but, so but that the, the same public thing, can have But it. the same thing happened in Germany, and, and Germany lost people like Einstein that, of course, decided to flee rather than, of course, you know, right, the now, totalitarian now, now regime. Think about this. We, we did a segment last week on uh, male testosterone dropping, mm -hmm. and Luke mentioned how in China they're doing these, these training drills to make their men more manly. You take a look at how China is behaving, and they're very authoritarian. It's, 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 it's horrifically nightmarish. And you take a look. It's, it's an extremist ideology as well. You take a look at what's going on in the U.S. with the rise of critical theory and how extreme that is. And there's probably going to be people who are in the United States or in China looking for places to escape to. I mean, especially China. I mean, they got concentration camps. But even in the U.S., we often hear from people say, oh, I'm going to leave. I don't want to stick around. I think we'll actually get to that point. Where people are, are looking at, say, you know, Joe Biden bringing back critical race theory training programs that Trump tried to get rid of. There are going to be a lot of people who don't want to be involved in this. They're going to quit their jobs. They're going to start their own companies or they're, they're going to want to leave the country outright. Right. And that's when the U.S. will be hit with a brain drain due to an ideological bent. And people are not comfortable living under a boot in that way. Another right. like yeah. um, another dimension of that is on the Internet, on social networks. You see people fleeing social networks that are oppressive. And I, I've yes. often wanted to rebrand Minds as a social network for smart people. But Bill's like, nah, it's too much. Well, but we have to understand like, the major epicenters, the major kind of places where people gather to build stuff, major cities. 
they're absolutely being eviscerated right now with lockdowns, which is preventing people from doing business. And the people yeah. of means are leaving. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is crazy stuff. If it weren't for the lockdowns, though, we wouldn't have launched APEC. That was like everyone's home. We're all just waiting to do meetings. And that's why we decided we're going to start our own ch conference. Ch check it out. Like in California, <laughs> the people who are okay with what the government has been doing to them stay. And the people who aren't leave. But most importantly, many people who don't like what's going on and can't leave stay. Yeah. And then you see Joe Rogan leave. You see Elon Musk leave. You see Ben Shapiro leave. You see the people with the ability to do so do so quickly. And that means some of the, the biggest industrialists and personalities will leave under this ideological oppression. California is brain draining itself of the people who are running big companies. And now there, there was a really amazing segment Bill Maher did. Yeah. Bill Maher is this liberal guy with Adam Schiff. And he's like, look at all the people fleeing. He said, I came here in the 80s and I found paradise. But now I don't know what I'm getting for my taxes. What am I getting? And, and Adam Schiff is like, well, we're going to make California. Now, here's here's the kicker. We're kind of we're getting off the science subject stuff here. But David Hogg of, of you know, the, of Parkland notori notoriety. I'm not, you know, no, no disrespect. I mean, there's a hor horrifying uh, event wants to start a pillow company to compete with Mike Lindell, hmm. uh, who has my pillow. I, I could be wrong about this, but my understanding is that he's literally calling it our pillow. I'm. I know. I'm. I'm. Yeah. I mean. I'm pretty sure he's calling it our pillow. I think he's too tapped in. But anyway, withdraw. He, he tweeted something about Mr. how Hog. This, this is crazy. He tweeted how we needed union factory that pays fair wages, and like California's out of the question. Yes. Who wants to buy a five hundred dollar pillow? Like no matter how good it is. So so the, these oppressive and authoritarian systems are actually hurting our ability to save this planet. Now, this is the main point I want to make. How do we get past the problems we're experiencing today with, say, global warming? Global warming, big, big, big problem. A lot of people don't believe in it. A lot of people think it's a very serious problem. A lot of politicians will scream and cry the world is ending and then fly on private jets and buy waterfront property. But in my opinion, we, you know, we had Dr. Chris, uh, Dr. Chris Martinson, right, mm -hmm. PhD pathologist on, yep. talking about fishery collapse. He was talking about the insect populations collapsing. Whatever, you, whatever your idea is, there's a delicate balance to this planet and we are disruptive. Here's the problem I see. Dude, I'm all in favor of solving these problems, but we need to solve it through industry, meritocracy, ingenuity, etc. When when the left gets ideological and says no nuclear energy because nuclear energy is bad and we're like, but that's one of our best chances to stop using petroleum. Mm. They block us from doing it yeah, for, through, because of ideology. Because of the, the dirtiness of fission. But when you talk about fusion, which gets roped into that same nuclear power thing and it's really a completely different process and maybe you shouldn't even call them both nuclear though there is nuclear energy involved i think once we develop fusion that's sure it's gonna because we have all these ideas about what to clean where to get the carbon from what you gotta the ropes you gotta drag but we need a power source but look look even at elon musk with tesla now becoming what, what, what tesla is worth more than all of the next top 10 auto manufacturers it's amazing they drove them out of california i mean here's a guy Who's doing everything they should want? First of all, they hate his they hate his guts. He's a, he's a billionaire and he's a nasty person. I'm like, he just made electric cars cool. That's gonna help the planet, right? They don't care because ideology drives most of these people. Not all of them, but the ones that are yeah. active in the culture war. And then the, the the California government becomes repressive, oppressive, and ideological. 
and then it pushes these people away. If this keeps happening, we won't be able to actually solve these problems and save the planet through new technology. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I actually remember seeing that Bill Maher clip and I tweeted, quote, even the guy who looks like my dad is realizing the big government is screwing everything and everyone. <laughs> now, if you look and compare what the what California is doing to what China's doing, you know, some people are making parallels that it's almost the same thing. It's not. It's completely driven. And when we have societies that are based completely off... different? Uh, uh, yeah, they're, sorry. They're, 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 there's, you know, a lot of people like to say that they're similar. They're not. Uh, because when you see what's happening in China, especially with their promotion of masculinity, and then you have Chinese institutions and Chinese financial banks uh, financing a lot of the colleges in the United States, they're promoting that masculinity is toxic. Wow. And when you look at this larger kind of spectrum that's unfolding here, you see China centralizing a lot of this for their own personal benefit. You see the United States centralizing it not for their benefit, but for the benefit of the few elite that, of course, don't serve everyone else. And and there's a big difference here with the elites in America also being the ones that are bankrolling China at the same time. A lot of people like to post about how Star Trek is communism. It's literally not, but they don't care because they're ideologically driven. I mean, whatever Star Trek is, it doesn't really fit the definitions that we have historically. It's just a sci-fi world of peace on Earth. You know, they're not in outer space, but they have replicator technology and they can, their ships anti-grav and all that stuff. And they're like, see, that's communism. I'm like, dude, it's nothing. It's Star Trek. It's a magical universe of fiction. If we want to get to that point, it's not going to be through government authoritarianism and a command economy. It's going to be through smart people working really, really hard and people in general coming together to find new ways to do new things. And unfortunately, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Ryan Long, he's the comedian. Has this new segment out? Did you, you guys see this? I don't know. And he's at the church. The church yeah. of woke, and he basically is dressed like a priest, talking about how their new religion is, is wokeness, and essentially humorously drawing parallels between oppressive religious doctrine and critical theory. That's the freakiest thing to me. That you've got people on the left weaponizing critical theory, which is a moral authoritarian dogma, which is going to restrict our ability to actually develop new technology and do new things. One of the biggest problems I've always had with the left, because I used to do fundraising for nonprofits. One of them, uh, I worked for several environmental nonprofits. And I immediately started researching, okay, climate change is a problem, right? Global warming is a problem, carbon emissions, all that stuff. Okay, what's our best solution? And I came across nuclear energy. It has zero emissions, and it has a massive energy return on energy invested. Thorium reactors. Yeah, I've heard thorium about thorium. salts, right? Yeah. So they, like, they're very safe. They don't melt down. How, how do like, they work? Um, there's... I mean, I'm not going to get into all the science of it, but, but, like, but long, long story we, short, the video they're later. safer. They don't melt down. It's liquid, right? It's a liquid reactor. Yeah, it's a liquid core reactor. There's a. It's it's safer because it it doesn't. You can use the fuel indefinitely. It doesn't have spent fuel rods, so there's not the waste problem like that other fuels have, like we have at Yucca Mountain with uh, all the reactor right, right. fuel. But so so here I am, and it's these exact environmental organizations saying no to nuclear energy. I didn't know why. I said, well, it's it's zero emission, and this new technology is safe. And they're like, nuclear is bad. It's bad for the planet. It's the same reason they took, like, an NR MRI machine, the same way I talked about Edward Mills personally, he invented NMRI, nuclear magnetic resonance. So what they use in an, in an NMRI machine, an MRI machine, is called an NR MRI machine because they took the N out. It's actually a nuclear magnetic resonance imaging machine. But they removed the word nuclear because... People hear, hear that word and it's like wow. they don't understand it. Really? But all this is just nu it's just it's just the nucleus yeah. of an atom. It doesn't mean that it's 
it's nuclear uh, f- fission or that it's nuclear active decay or radiation. It doesn't mean any nuclear of that. Nuclear doesn't mean radiation. It doesn't. So well, do we need do we need like a uh, Atlas Shrug type scenario where all the wealthy industrialists flee to a secret location to to be free from the oppressive government? Yes, we've what had a discussion. Place? What's called? I think we're all on board with that. Making yes. a ranch where we can build and saucers. Capistan? And Capistan? Yes. And, and isn't it kind of sad that, that our resources, our money is being spent for destruction rather than building, rather than actually construction? If you look at where the majority of the scientific community, where you look at the majority of the money that goes into them, it, it goes into what? Weapons. Weapons. Yes. Not, of course, helping, creating, solving a lot of the problems that we all face. And we have to keep all of it, the technology secret. So have- Everything has to be not open sourced. Everything has to to be kept for power purposes and ego and uh you know it's it's when we look at it from the, the bigger picture it's absolutely sad and pathetic they got to be 30 years ahead um with what we have publicly yeah. you know they're 30 years advanced in some ways of what's the classified stuff that's out there and they're holding that and withholding it and using it to make weapons and they, they want to keep the it the whole goal of this is to you know the military industrial banking intelligence petroleum complex and what I, is what i call it and it's basically this organization that uh, of rich people that want to maintain power and control and any under any terms possible they don't and, and that includes you know keeping these technologies under wraps and only for them and for their purposes and there, stuff, so. th- there are a few things in this world that uh, uh that can break my heart as tremendously as two specific historical incidents. The first is the burning of the Library of Alexandria. Ugh. What a horror story mm-hmm. for human history, man. That, that one just Ugh. right through the heart, huh? One, the second, though, is the quote from Werner von Braun, the, you know, what is he, the godfather of rocketry, essentially. And he helped make a bunch of crazy weapons, rocket weapons for uh, World War II Germany. Mm. And he has a very famous quote. Let me read a little bit. They say, when the first V2 hit London, Von Braun remarked to his colleagues, the rocket worked perfectly, except for landing on the wrong planet. That's so wow. sad, man. That, that, that's, that, that's just a this, punch in the gut. This is a lot of good quotes. quotes. This is a guy who said, I want to travel the stars. I want to land on other planets, and rockets can, can do this for us. Dude. And then a psychopath took something so beautiful and turned it into a weapon of mass destruction. All I want is fusion. I want working fusion power. I know it's here. We have cold fusion, but yes. it's going to create a weapon. It is, and it's going to end up being used to destroy a lot of humans. If it, but what could they if do with it's a created? Reactor? If everyone had one, I don't know, focus the energy into a city. So about cold fusion, uh, Peter Hagelstein is a researcher at, at MIT. Um, I went to a cold fusion course there. They had an open IAP course where you could just basically anyone from the public can go there and go to MIT and take a course on cold fusion for a week. And um, there was all these professors and all these students there and that just came to show up for the course. So I, I of course, went because I, I live in you know, I live close enough to Boston. I, I drove in every day. I actually stayed at my my brother's lives in Boston, so I stayed at his house. And uh, what what explain to us fusion and cold fusion, dude? So basically, the idea is that you know, in regular fusion, fusion happens in a star. We have the biggest fusion reactor in the sky. We're trying to we're, we're wasting tons of money on hot fusion, trying to build these tokamak reactors and and these fusion reactors here on you know Earth to, to what mimic is what it? happens. What does it the do? Sun. Like, what is the sun doing? It's literally what's called. You know, breaking the Coulomb barrier. It's pushing through gravity and other forces. It's pushing these things so close together that they get so close that through quantum like tunneling, they think that, that they're in the same place and they actually fuse. Um, so like a hydrogen would come together and make a helium or something yeah, like that? Yeah, two hydrogens will come together. The, the protons will add and will create two protons in the nucleus. They start hugging each other and then, then it creates the next heavy element and then the next heavier element up. And, and th- 
How does that make energy for us? What does it do? It gets hot? So there's a mass difference between the nucleus and, uh, and there's a mass conversion. So some of that mass is down converted and then the mass, the leftover mass is actually energy through equals mc squared and that we can extract that extra energy that that's left over through after the fusion reaction oh. um, so, so what do we do we like we end up with what like it eventually turns to gold so it will yeah it will actually in stars they uh carl sagan is good a book on this the cosmos if you ever read cosmos by carl sagan he um talks about this there's a documentary on it too um where he basically breaks down what stars do we're all, we're all star stuff we're all made out of stardust and everything that all the atoms in my body and your body and all the atoms that are here on this planet were created in supernovas through uh nuclear fission i mean nuclear fusion in stars over uh billions of years and when they basically create the heliums fuse, they create he helium. Then the helium fuses with another hydrogen and creates lithium, the next heaviest element, and it keeps going up and going up and going lithium up. Lithium solid, solid metal. It's a solid metal, yeah. It's actually wow. So when helium is this invisible gas, combines another invisible gas, you'll get a physical piece of metal. Yes. That's cool. Um, so there's different theories on what matter is and how matter is constructed and how matter is made. And, um, of course, you know, the alchemists tried to do, f you know, fusion in their laboratories to c turn mercury and lead into gold, right? And um, the idea is that, you know, if we can understand nuclear science, then we can create ways to trick, you know, these atoms into doing these things. So, so, so what is cold fusion then? That's like, I hear that's like the holy grail of energy. Right, it is. It was when it came out with Pons and Fleischmann, these two uh, award-winning electrochemists discovered this effect at, um, you know, I, I think it was Brigham and Young University um, where they discovered this uh, in Utah. And um, they weren't sure what to do with the effect that they discovered. They went to people in their department to try and, you know, what do we do? Because, like, we have a new breakthrough energy source, potentially. We could get shot by the oil companies. Like, how do we get this out? And one of the guys at the department was actually a guy named Stephen Jones. I know him. <laughs> I spent a long flight from uh, L.A. to uh, Australia with him, sitting next to him. Yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah, I've met him before too. Yeah. He's he's an interesting guy. He's he's got a lot of papers on muon catalyzed fusion, and he's got a lot of a lot of interesting ideas and stuff. But, but he, the, he yeah, so cold he's, fusion. Cold fusion is the one. That he's that's the whole history of it. But what it, essentially they recoined the term because it, this press conference blew up in their face. They had a bunch of Caltech and MIT guys come in and say, like, oh, look, this doesn't exist. MIT basically wrote the obituary. They wrote an obituary for cold fusion before they had the data and the results back from their lab. But, but real, real quick, can you explain what cold fusion is? It's now called lattice-assisted nuclear reaction um, because what they, uh, they know is happening is that inside of a lattice of a metal, um, these atoms are able to behave differently than they behave inside, you know, a star or inside the surface of the sun where they're fusing. So inside of a metal, you can saturate um, metal. Like what they do is they saturate palladium with tons of deuterium. The deuterium is like heavy water. It's like you take hydrogen, has two isotopes. You add, take one hydrogen is just a proton. So if I add a neutron to that, it makes it heavy hydrogen. That's called deuterium. If I add two protons to that, it's even heavier two hydrogen. Two neutrons. Two neutrons. And that's called tritium, right? So... What they do is they take deuterium and they pump a ton of it into this palladium lattice until they get a saturation of over 90%. And then when they hit that, that saturation point, which they proved the Caltech and MIT replication experiments never got up to that level where they would have even seen an effect in their labs. But numerous other labs have done this over the past you know 30 years since this and have shown positive results. And there's an international collaboration of scientists still working on cold fusion and still researching this. I got a 
question about well, this. So, so we got we got to keep going on this. Yeah, if it wanna, didn't exist. I want to clarify something. So you put deuterium, which is basically hydrogen with an added neutron, so it's heavier than regular hydrogen. Yes. You put it in a lattice of palladium. Yes. And then you they because it's heavier, they don't like bounce past each other. They have more of a tendency to to nail you, each other when they. But what do you do? Do you vibrate the palladium to get them to, to fuse? Well, they found that vibrating the palladium or shooting it with a laser and what something called super waves where they have, um, you know, multiple frequencies added on top of the same wave. Uh, when they hit them with these sort of super frequencies uh, called super waves and the, uh, or do laser-assisted, lattice-assisted nuclear reaction, that it increases the effect. So there is some sort of what we believe is going on is that there's some sort of entanglement, some sort of coupling between the atoms inside this lattice when you get a high enough concentration and get enough of them packed in. And that allows for fusion to take place. Not only does it allow for it to take place, but it also allows for the, the, um, the gamma, gammas that should be produced in these reactions. That was one of the arguments that, ga that this, these reactions should have produced gamma rays that should have killed these scientists if they were actually producing fusion in the laboratory. But they've shown through, um, Mossbauer effect and Bremsstrahlung radiation that they're actually able to divide that energy up and release it as phonons or electronic vibrations to a lattice to the, to the lattice. So and that's, that's essentially how they convert it into energy that we can use. But we can't use it because in order to use energy like that, right? In order to build a power plant, I have to make steam. That's right. what, you, what I need. So that's how a nuclear reactor works. We 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 have these control we boil water we boil water <laughs> and then they'll use that water to push a, a tesla turbine the same yeah, technology yeah. that tesla invented yep. to so produce that's crazy we right? use the phonons motor. to create piezoelectric uh basically vibrate it until it creates an electrical charge it might be a way to do this with cold fusion where we we create smaller volt the thing is that we there, there's more research that needs to be done into turning this into usable energy because you can build a cold fusion reactor, but if it's cold and it's not boiling water, then you're not going to be able to produce steam. You're not going to be able to build a power plant with but it. But is it? It's literally cold. Isn't like you can touch it? Like it's not hot. It's it's just happening. It, cold is, I think, a relative term. I I, I believe it. They electrolyze this, and um, they actually try not to make make it too hot because it will actually fissure the metal and, and have other effects. So, but so it takes place cold, yes, at a much colder temperature than... than so, so, so wait, wait, wait. You're saying that they can do it, but they just can't convert the energy in any meaningful way. That's one like of the biggest problems right out, now. They're like, now what? Yeah, so now we, we've measured, you know, the U.S. Navy uh, Spay War Lab actually measured tritium in their, their cold fusion tests. The guy, Gary, uh, Larry Forsley. And um, I met him at MIT at the, at the conference, too. But these guys have proven that you know fusion's taking place there's some other process that they that it's not well understood that accounts for why we don't see these high energy gammas being produced but then there's the problem of engineering a power plant out of it because how do you you know how do you boil well, it's water producing phonons <laughs> you so boil water <laughs> are the phonons vibrating the lattice where are the phonons going that it's producing yeah, it's literally, it's relaxing that um, vibration to and it distributing it to a lattice. So it, it's, it's divided. Um, yeah, it's divided among the lattice. So if we could figure out how to get energy from vibrating palladium, I, I keep thinking of piezoelectric, which is just energy that you get from movement. Um, then maybe we could get, we could have it vibrate. But is it moving? Is it really, it really is it's, moving? It's really strange because it, it occurs at these active sites in the materials. It only occurs like it um, cracks and metal appear to be like a, a active site where these things um, are appearing. And then, you know, there's different researchers on different sites. And one guy's saying, that, no, the cracks are bad and that's, that's not what's going on. And then there's other guys saying that the cracks are good. And it's just like... Palladium's interesting uh, element. It's the only element in the entire periodic table that has its outermost valence shell saturated with electrons. 
Hmm. So it's like electrically repulsive. So it's probably preventing the gamma radiation. It's pushing. That, that, it's got that, a lot of push to it. That explains why why Tony Stark replaced his palladium core, or, or why he had a palladium core in his his uh, his uh, arc reactor. That's exactly exactly very similar yes. to cold fusion in the arc reactor. There's a lot of similarities between the arc reactor and cold fusion. I'm kind of I'm joking, but like, was there is that kind of the 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 inspiration for? I don't believe. I think that came. I think that came before. Of course, Pons and Fleischmann Iron Band is like the seventies, doesn't it? Go back. No, but I mean, like in the modern iterations, he's got palladium in this core. Then it like generates electricity of some sort. I'm sure when Hollywood was redoing that film, they kind of like they 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 consult with people like me because I've been approached by people in Hollywood like, look, I'm making a film and I want like some real science to kind of like throw in or or something and, and mix with this that's realistic and stuff. So that happens. I know that happens. Yeah, for sure. Um. So, but you know, like I don't know, it's it's weird, man. So, I mean, it's not too can't far let off too much, but <laughs> so what? We built, we got to build a fusion, power, so, a functioning fusion generator that produces electricity. Yeah, I think these. But then I I hear these crazy conspiracies that oil barons and you know right that ty- tycoons will come after them. Do, do do you think that's legit? Like you mentioned before, that there are people who don't want the system to change. And I hear a lot, that's actually a very left-wing talking point. The environmentalists, the climate change activists say that it's the big oil companies, their banker buddies, and the politicians who don't want to lose that control over the people. I'll add a little bit more. The general idea they have is that we as a people are addicted to fossil fuels. We have built this entire civilization upon it over the past hundred plus years, and you, you hear from people like Greta Thunberg, who she says, you know, we, we, we don't want to wait till 2030 or 2022. We want it now. We want a moratorium. And that would mean the, millions would die because yeah. they have no food production. They have no vehicles. And so many on the left think it's the industrialists doing it on purpose because so long as we're addicted to this, they can say, oh, but we can't get rid of it. You'll die. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's, 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 there's like, I've seen so many videos where they're like, I've invented cold fusion or I've invented infinite energy and they show like magnets on a wheel spinning and it's like very ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But in a more serious tone, do you think that there's pro- there, there may be scientists who have developed some maybe, you know, prominent renewable type energy or clean energy that's being suppressed? I'll mention one, um, you know, you mentioned like perpetual motion machines. I've only seen one in the literature which actually might work and it's based on Einstein's Brownian motion and it's, uh, I, I, I but that, sent, would, that, would, that would mean that more energy is coming out of a system that was put into it. That defies the laws of physics, doesn't it? I sent you a link on it. It's it's basically like it's a quantum effect, and it basically it, it exploits the Heisenberg uncertainty principle in in some ways, which is kind of like what I talk about with these squeeze states. You're squeezing one of those parameters in the Heisenberg uncertainty principle to make the other one go astronomical, so that you can you can change its position or its momentum um, in in space by by focusing one. If you know one. You can only know the position or the momentum of an object to within a degree of h bar over two pi. That's Heisenberg uncertainty principle. So if you know the exact position to to within a finer um, degree of uncertainty than h bar two pi, automatically the the momentum will just go astronomical, just because it it has to conserve this this principle. And the same thing with the momentum. If you know the exact momentum, then suddenly the position changes. So you can never nail down where anything is in quantum mechanics. It, as soon right. as you try to, it moves on you. Have you ever watched uh, Who Killed the Electric Car? It's a yes, documentary. Yes, the EV1 was, and, yeah. and the Saturn. And so I think that's what Tim is kind of pointing at be, with Well, the conspiracy, he pointed out conspiracies. Yeah, there yeah. are conspiracies. Yeah. The General Motors streetcar conspiracy was a legit conspiracy. There used yeah. to be trolley systems connecting the entire United States on the East Coast. I could take a trolley from here to New York and I could pay like a dollar for it. 
But then they took all the trolleys, they bought out all the trolley systems and pulled all the cars off the, off the rails, disassembled all the rails, all the train tracks, and then no one had any way to get yeah. around, so they had to buy cars. So, you know, I even, I, I can't get it, I can't even get into the details, but I could vaguely say that I met individuals that, that created, you know, innovations and they were bought out by big companies and they were told to shut up and they did and they gave them a big fat paycheck and a lot of these companies that these new advancements would contradict with their market, they just got rid of. Even solar and, panels. Yeah, and especially when you look at something like you know the the petrodollar and, and its effects on the world stage involving Saudi Arabia. I mean, Saudi Arabia is is an empire in decline already. But if you look at the world going off oil, they're they're a country that that again has a very hard time getting fresh water. Have a, has a very hard time creating any kind of vegetation, any kind of farmland. Uh, Saudi Arabia, some people speculate, might even have a nuclear weapon already. So when we're seeing empires in decline, um, there's a lot of ramifications for that, and that's why there's been larger theories out there that there is some kind of bigger conspiracy to make sure that we stay on gas, that we stay on oil, rather than of course advance towards. Uh, free energy or free technology or even innovations that are less, uh, you know, cost-inducive and don't prop up the Saudi empire. The Saudis so, actually have been publishing a lot of interesting papers, uh, their university on, on like squeeze states and metamaterials yeah. and all this kind and of stuff. Also, I looked up yeah. the uh, streetcar conspiracy and it's not as crazy as people think. It's semi-debunked, it seems, based on one source I'm reading. The general idea was there was a very aggressive campaign to buy up streetcars and then sell like automobiles, mm. but it was because the streetcar system was already struggling and potentially on the verge of collapse. Of course, of course. How convenient. Well, I mean, look, you choose what you choose what you yeah. want to believe. Well, you they want... could have upkept it, but they were like, ah. Eh. But but in this larger sphere of conversation, well, they wouldn't have been able to buy them up unless there was yeah. you know there, there there was a fear that they were going to go insolvent, and so GM was like, now's our chance. So that's why I'm saying wow. semi oh, GM bought yeah. them up. Uh, mm. Yeah. So I think that's what they said. Uh, General Motors. Yeah. Well, let, also, let me, let, yeah, GM and its partner companies engage, engaged uh, it, it, in a, an aggressive campaign to sell public transport equipment to companies that were otherwise reluctant. Oh, my God. Doing this involved buying up electric trolley operators like the Los Angeles Railway. They say it was only uh, only feasible because the streetcar companies national line city, uh, purchased weren't uh, well on. Bianco points out that this plan wouldn't have been feasible if the streetcar companies national city lines purchased weren't already struggling. So I guess the general idea is the streetcars were in a state of, you know, insolvency. That's allowed auto manufacturers to come in and displace them. And I mean, look at the MTA, right, in New York City. You've got an electric, essentially, public transportation system. It's failing. It is in, it is in yeah, dire straits. the one straits. in Boston, too. The, the T in Boston is the same they thing. Can't, they can't maintain them. And there was some hope that Amazon coming with this new headquarters would pump in enough revenue that they could shift over to fixing the the subway system and then you know there was this big protest by people like ocasio cortez in, in the financial district which resulted in amazon saying no yeah. that's not a solution to, to new york's problems mind you but they they struggle to fix these trains so i mean it seems feasible that the system is just not being maintained properly it doesn't work well the mta also, receives a crap ton of money we're talking about bridges we're talking about toll money we're talking about some tolls in New York City to cross a bridge cost almost $20, probably $20 by the making of this video already. Last time it was, I think, $18 to get across to Verrazano. So we're seeing a huge mismanagement. We're seeing it poorly run, and they're in the deficit. They're in the hole. So so like, so like, I think this wow. more says to something that, that ha 
happens when you have centralization, when you have big government, more than when you would have a free market. But there's also elements of the free market that we were just talking about, like the electric car that 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 get bought up and get shut down, which is which is which sucks because they buy all the copyrights. Uh, and I, I, I got to tell you, as a, an owner of an electric car. There are pros and cons. I mean, when we're looking at local grocery store shopping, it's wonderful. You just drive there, you drive back. I never, I look at the gas stations and I like, ha 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 ha, the silly peasants in their gas stations. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, we need to drive an hour. Oh, my car can't make it. I have to go <laughs> home and take the gas vehicle. There's pros and cons, you know. Are they like suppressing solar technology? Could you have like really, really good solar panels if, if they were allowed? You mentioned solar earlier as being suppressed. Um, well, yeah, they're going back to the seventies is, was a technology like, you know, even when solar panels came out, they were people, they were paying people off to lie about the efficiency of them, like, you know, not to, so that other people wouldn't go off the grid because the electric companies would go out of business. Did you, did you know that Jimmy Carter put solar panels on the White House roof and yeah. that, yeah, George Bush removed them the next year when, when <laughs> uh-huh. Reagan took off? Did you hear the story? There was a guy who had a truck and he layered it with solar panels and made it charge and then run on solar panels. And then it can't like, I guess the, I don't want to name the, which company, cause I could be wrong. They like came and seized it. What? Like sheriff showed up and mm-hmm. took it away and said, you can't do this. There's a lot of stories like this. You guys know yeah. Stanley Meyer? He he invented a car in the 70s that ran off of water. We have all the yep. Stanley Meyer patents, and we have a cut. We have a group in our team working on like some of that technology but as we, well. We, too. We, so this is so for those that aren't familiar, it's a water car that what it uses electrolysis to separate hydrogen oxygen from water and then burn that as fuel. It uses a yeah, a, like a nuclear catalyst to help with the the splitting of the water molecules. So it's kind of like. The uh, the idea is that it it uses it gets more energy out than it puts in actually somehow. And, but it, that's that not that's not true. I think it? it's retrieving energy from the vacuum. You're taking energy from the environment somewhere. There's no free lunch. Yeah. I don't think. You know, I've never seen any free lunch. Energy Every, can't be created. But does the water car actually for... work? Um, I mean, I've seen videos, and I think from a layman's point of view, I just read something on it. Seems to make sense, but I don't know anything about it. Not as far as we, we haven't built one that works. We haven't, you know, gotten a group out there that works. And obviously, if it was such a great idea back in the '70s with these, you know, ultra efficient carburetors and all this, this, this stuff you hear about, it's like why isn't it? Why isn't it being done more today? Well, you know, didn't they buy? Someone bought his patent and then he died shortly thereafter. Isn't that the story? No, the idea is that like the patent office is sort of like this trap it's it's like as soon as you patent something it's it's like it, it it gets bought out or it goes on a shelf and then like i don't know it's it's kind of a weird thing it's kind of like this this trap for people that are greedy and want to make money off mm-hmm. these inventions and stuff so there's a lot of controversy about the patent you're, office you're big on open sourcing information right I mean, yeah, that's been yeah. pretty much your ethos from what yes, I Yes, I, I want to, I don't believe in patents. I don't believe in, like, I, well, I believe in intellectual property. Like, you have your, your own ideas and your own, uh, your own thoughts, but it, there should be a different system of how we make money off that and how we, you know, control over that. Cause it's, it's really not beneficial to the species, you know, the way things are set up like that. You know, I want to mention something about the streetcar conspiracy stuff. I don't trust the media, especially when, you know, what doesn't GM own nbc or something whoa or or not not gm i'm probably i'm probably confusing things but when you have i'll put it very simply regardless of who owns what when you have a car company that has to sell advertisements to a media company and then the boss of the media company says look we run this story we lose a major advertiser i've seen it happen i've seen right. it, i've seen it happen so i'm not saying i know exactly what for but if you come to me and say that automobile companies you know, work together to corrupt and destroy streetcars and systems like that. I, I want to believe it because I, because I think it, it, it's, it's, it's completely feasible 
And when I hear stories where they're like, well, you know, the streetcars were already doing bad. You guys all had that reaction. Like, yeah, like we believe the media. Oh, oh you know, oh, oh, these big industrialists are all benefiting from the, the dissolution of public interest, interests and in publicly available transport. Let's just believe the mainstream media on this one. No, but I, I will point out at the same time. For me, it is kind of a coin toss because the MTA is collapsing. Government can't really run this properly. Well, there are some good points that you did bring up, though, with that, because, you know, you have to look at the time period that those rail systems were built and the metallurgy that existed at the time. And it's not, you know, to think that it's not hard to believe that those things were a rust bucket by the time this this, this right. actually happened, because we didn't have the metallurgy to really, you know, prevent against that. All, all the steel things that we could make was very, you know, limited. So, like, it probably rusted really quickly. You know, one of the, one of the issues is for Chicago, for places like New York, I know this in Chicago, people complain that the, the fare is too high, but clearly it's not high enough to actually sustain the system itself. So it's heavily subsidized by the taxpayer and that's still not enough. But like they were, they were talking about shutting down the, what was it? What was it? Luke, the L train in New York? Um, for, con for construction. Yeah. Cause that way that did, for, I thought they had to do repairs on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much needed repairs mm -hmm. to fix this train that goes, it goes under the, the which river? The, the Hudson River, right? Yep. No, 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 the East River. Uh, it goes from Manhattan to Brooklyn. Yeah. So you had all this Williamsburg property skyrocketing in value. Then they announced several years ago, they were like, what was it, 2019 or something? They were going to shut it down. Well, I was shut it there down for a very happened. long time, not just for yep. a few weeks, not just for a few months. It already is barely running as, as is. There's already major problems with it. I mean, a lot of the you know systems are dilapidated, and there's entire industries and, and entire real estate markets connected to it that almost went out of business. But I think they announced that they're not going to be taking it out, that they're going to be yeah, keeping they, they it in, it. and they stopped the, the construction you know why? efforts. When they announced that they were going to suspend for like a couple of years the L train to fix it because it's in disrepair, the people who owned the real estate started freaking out because who wants to live in Williamsburg if you can't get to Manhattan? You have to take the G train down south to yeah. like what, like the AC train, yeah. then go into the financial district. For those that aren't familiar oh. with New York, it is not fun to have one train that takes five minutes to jump from, from Brooklyn straight to, to Manhattan. You'd have to take a, a one train way far south for like 30 minutes then hop on a different train to take in the financial district, then hop on like the Q with the N or the R up Transportation to is a huge, Street. huge problem for globally, not just in New York. Uh, transportation. Not a problem anymore. Not with COVID. The COVID lockdowns have made it so everybody works from home. Yeah. Praise yeah. be. But also, I, <laughs> <laughs> Ian's happy. I'm not. So no one needs warp drive now. Yeah, we, we can all just work Maybe from That's home, what we so. need is warp drive. No, what, what's going to happen is we're all going to have virtual... Virtual digital spaces. I'm wondering if that's what um, warp drive is. I want to talk well, 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 real, real quick. I remember uh, to, to mention Greta Thunberg again. She said it's in, it's insane to think there's infinite economic growth. And what she doesn't understand is digital spaces. Because I remember the time when she was saying this. Like, I remember what the first time I heard her talking about it, infinite economic growth. I was playing some golf game on my phone yeah. where you like, you know, pull your finger back and then he hits the little golf ball and falls in the hole. And there were power ups you could buy. And I was like, when I buy that power up, literally nothing is produced. It's just a code changes from yes to no, and then, or, you know, a zero to a one. And then all of a sudden I get to use the super golf swing. Oh. But that dude still gets a dollar. And then he can spend that dollar on whatever. So yes, if we start moving into virtual environments, second life type things, there can be theoretically infinite economic growth yeah, because you, you buy 
digital things. Mm-hmm. That's what like makeup companies are taking a huge hit because nobody's going out anymore. I think they're one of the big, <laughs> big. So they're like wow. trying to merge into digital makeup and digit, you know, like that kind of stuff. Instagram oh, filters. Yeah. I'm yeah, surprised yeah. they haven't got into that business. But yeah, oh, they are. Life they're... on the pod's going to be great. You know, there's going to be bugs to eat intravenously, and we're just what be kind sitting. of bugs? Um, crickets, cockroaches. I hear crickets. I hear crickets. I think, not there's, so bad. I think they're very abundant. Uh, I think the you know filet mignon steaks are only going to be for the super uber billionaire elites, and we're going to be very comfy in our little matrix battery uh, compartments. You're going to live in the pod, and you're going to eat bugs, but you're going to be in the matrix, yeah. flying around on a dragon, throwing fireballs. You're going to be neuro-linked through the back of your head. Oh, now we're talking. Just like uh, it's the matrix, know, baby. Yeah, yeah seriously. I, I got a question, Jeremy. <laughs> Assuming that we have infinite power, if we can tap fusion, how yeah. do we build a warp drive? Well, you just need the right type of nonlinear optical materials on the surface of your craft. I, I'd say some waveguides, maybe some monatomic elements. The idea is to create a meta-surface or a meta-atom. We're called meta-atoms or meta-surfaces. It's basically like you have a surface of all these atoms, and then you get them condensed to the same wavelength through what's called light-matter coupling. And when you couple light or couple light with itself, you can create um, these condensed matter states, and then you can get the entire craft to act like a single atom. And if it acts like a single atom, then you can you know, influence it with quantum mechanical behaviors and quantum mechanical properties. That's kind so, of one idea. You know something really crazy about Star Trek? They have warp drive. Like that's that. This is, so this idea of warp drive. What was it first? In first contact, uh, it, warp drive was created by a no, character no, 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 named no. Zephyrin Cochran. In real life, I know, I know, but in real life, let's mm-hmm. talk about Star Trek. In real life, when was the first idea of like warp drive? It was a long, long time ago, right? Like Einstein. Um, the first person actually was a guy named Al Kubier, who was a science, a theoretical physicist who studied like Einstein and general relativity, and he watched Star Trek and was a fan of Star Trek, and so he wrote a paper called Really you know, Al so, Warp Drive. Star Trek was the first like Star Trek inspired hypoth- it inspired the idea of warp drive it did yeah but in the original star trek they had warp they right? did yes because they they gene roddenberry got the download somewhere man that guy was talking to aliens or something <laughs> <laughs> was well so here's, here's, here's that the, dude was plugged in here's what people don't realize even in even in star trek where they have warp nine you know and they can travel much faster than the speed of light they can barely get anywhere within the our own galaxy so people like you know, I don't think people realize the vast space between galaxies and even between quadrants of our own galaxy traveling at the speed of light. So I think it's uh, Voyager, right? This is the series where they get transported to the to like a different quadrant, and it would take them seventy years traveling at their fastest speed to make it back to Earth, and they're traveling substantially faster than light. That's how big the galaxy is, let alone going to a different galaxy. You so know? warp drives like just a stepping stone towards a greater field warp drive or something where what you, you mean? can well, One of the weirdest things, right, is this something called quantum non-locality in physics. And this is sort of reinterpretation of quantum mechanics that was uh, done by John Archibald Wheeler, who worked with Einstein, and, and he also was employed by uh, one of these big companies that I want to mention and talk about, because we talk about scientific conspiracies and way, ways that they suppress scientific information. Did you know that there's a company that runs and manages all of our science national labs? They run Lawrence Livermore Labs, national, uh, um, you know, Oak Ridge, they, they run uh, What's Los Alamos. What's company called? And the company that manages them all is called Battelle Memorial Institute. They were founded in like the 1930, 1938, I believe. 
Um, and they're uh, founded by a guy who is an iron metallurgist and, and they're metal, they're a company that specifies in metallurgy and how to make metals. Um, and they're experts in, you know, all different types of alloys and metals. And they're right in Columbus, Ohio. And this is sort of like, and they control all of our labs. They manage all manage. of them. They're manager. So basically all the research that goes on in our, our labs, they can, they can decide what gets canned and what, get, what gets funded and what, you know, if anything gets discovered at a lab, it goes up to their management chain. And of course, they're right there to scoop it all up. Do you think that, uh, if someone did discover a rapidly renewable, let's not even say like perpetual motion, right? This idea that you can get energy, more energy out than you could put in. Let's say there's, they actually discover something that just uses, say, ambient energy in a very simple way that produces rap like a, a, a massive amount of clean energy do you think that they would suppress it out of fear it could destabilize the economy or or, or or just suppress it in general absolutely why why would they why would they historically they've done that with every single technology and new breakthrough even even when the russians discovered that you know the guy who f flung the wing nut off of a, a thing and noticed that it was spinning in air and would change directions oh in space the russians kept that classified that effect. What, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you have like a T-shaped object, right? Yeah. And you spin it, it'll eventually start flipping back and forth. Right. In a really weird way. They, they wrote a paper on it. The Russians wrote a paper on it about a couple of years later called the tennis, they called it the tennis racket effect. And they never talked about, you know, the, this, this incident on the space station. And so. you, know, you know what one of my f favorite stories is? And I don't know if this is true. There's a meme that goes around where it's like, the United States spent, you know, $40 million developing, developing a pen that could write in zero G. The Russians used a pencil. Ha <laughs> ha. And everyone laughs, right? You've, yeah, heard, you've seen that meme. I think the meme. Now yeah. there's another meme that goes around where someone responded saying, using a pencil is extremely dangerous because it creates particulate matter that can get into the instruments and into the air and it floats around aimlessly. So using a pencil is actually a bad idea. Getting an ink pen that can work and is self-pressurized is actually much smarter. And then it's like, it's one of those things where you, th you think, ha ha, it is so dumb. Why are people so dumb? They should use a pencil. But it's only because you don't understand anything about space or technology or the physics that you assume and that's that's a really good like way to understand everything in our society from politics to science in that so many people who have no idea what they're talking about will push things that will make everything worse and then mock those who are actually trying to solve the problem and there's also what we find is like there's a ton of people just filling filling the thing with mud they're filling the the thing with those perpetual motion machines and those magnetic motors and and all these other things and it's just basically a, a perpetual time wasting machine is what i call it <laughs> just i love watching these perpetual motion machi machines because most of the time you can tell you can see where they hid the battery you know yeah. what i mean to make it spin and yep. then other times it's like even if that really was you'll see like really clever ones i'm like how do you get energy out of that yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, you found a way to make the marble go tick, 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 you know, down the slope, and then it goes up and goes again. Are you going to somehow turn that into a generator? Is there it's some way that the marble moving in a circle is going to spin a turbine, I guess? Maybe a little tiny motor, get a little, little bit? No, it just never happens. You know what I love, though, is when people talk about magnets, and they're like, why don't you just have a wheel with a bunch of magnets on it, so that when the wheel comes around, the magnet pushes it, and it, it just keeps getting pushed forever, and I'm like, because the magnets are pushing and pulling. So it just stops. Have you ever actually tried it? It's fake. It's not real. So you Which asked was... me before about who I thought was like the weirdest guy that we've ever had come on and present or like most interesting. So I, I thought of like two probably examples. Um, you know, you mentioned high frequency gravitational waves that was mentioned in that thing. We actually had a guy named Gary Stevenson from DARPA who came on and, and uh, 
presented on high frequency gravitational waves and, and their generation. And he talked about this, um, I, we talked a little bit about that Nazi bell, the rotating mercury plasma and these, these mm -hmm. torus drives. So like we found out that General Electric actually did some experiments on, on a patent that was uh, patented by an engineer in Valley Forge, PA named Henry William Wallace. And it was on this gravitomagnetic effect or kinematic field. And they literally, GE was taking like tokamak reactors and, and rotating mercury mixed with like cesium, barium and, and these other elements to try and test these torsion field theories of like, of this physics and stuff. And we have papers on it from like these guys going back to, you know, talking about rotating superconductors and these magnetic fields and stuff. Um, one of the other guys that presented was a guy named Alzafon, um, who did some of these uh, research experiments for Boeing back in the 80s. And um, 1981, it was a, a paper that was written. And we're trying to replicate that experiment in our lab right now. That's kind of where we're at. And I think that was like the turning point where our scientists in you know, 1981, when they did this Boeing experiment with Alzafon on nuclear magnetic resonance, I think that was the turning point when they realized that this that the spins of uh, these atomic molecules and the elements that are in, in the atoms is really like key to how this effect works. Um, cause that was where they first came up with a, a realistic theory for it. This guy, um, Alzafon, and then he, he got funding actually from Boeing to do this research and it was classified for years until like we found it through, you know, a couple of years back through our research. And now we're, we're actually putting this together on a tabletop lab experiment to run it ourselves. And, um, we also got his son. He's, he's of course passed away sadly, but, uh, his son is still alive and had a lot of his dad's research. And we actually interviewed his son on APEC and, and got him to present a whole bunch of cool stuff. So you mentioned the column effect, um, Coulomb, Coulomb yeah. and that's when, so they're spinning, the atoms are spinning, they come together and because of this Coulomb effect, they spin into each other basically and then start to spin as one. And that's what fusion is. Well, the Coulomb barrier, that's the cool fusion is breaking the Coulomb barrier. And the Coulomb was a, as a, was a French scientist who the father of electromagnetism and, and charge, he, he's the first person to isolate and, and identify electric charge. And, um, did a lot of the experiments, you know, to, to set the foundations for, you know, electromagnetism, which of course was picked up by, you know, Heaviside, Gibbs, Maxwell, and those guys who formalized it into a, a, a field theory where they could use, you know, in, into a mathematical field theory, which is really um, some of the, you know, the foundational points of, of where all this stuff comes from. That was a guy named Coulomb. That's, that's where this comes from because he, he was like the father of electric charge. He proposed like a barrier, an electromagnetic barrier that atoms couldn't couldn't pass through because the electrons are pushing themselves away or something. And it's because their, their neutrons make the atoms heavier that they're able to. There's a strong nuclear force, which holds the, um, which holds these subatomic elements together. That's our, our current model. So some of these models that we're looking at are deal with knots. This, uh, this theory, this mathematician named Lewis Kaufman, who does a lot of uh, work on knots. And he thinks that matter is actually light that's twisted up in knots. And, and depending on how much, how tight and how big those knots are will depend on what the matter is. So he says that, you know, like this is just a simple knot. Hydrogen is just a, a super simple knot. It's just, you know, when you create one proton. But when you start weaving these things together, they have to have these other elements in there to hold the knots together. And those elements are actually neutrons. And um, it's so it's, it's there's a mathematical core theory behind, you know, this this image that you get of just these balls, these colored balls, like neutrons are protons are red and neutrons are green and they stick together. And, you know, that's our our model. But that's not really realistically what is going on on that quantum level. It's more like knots and twisting of fields in, in on themselves and around each other.
well, in different geometries. This is some crazy stuff, but I think we got a bunch of people listening who want to ask some questions. So mm-hmm. we'll go to Super Chats. Absolutely. If you haven't already, smash the like button. Like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff, notification bell, and become a member at TimCast.com because we will have a bonus segment up, a members-only piece of content after the show just for those who are members to help make sure that we don't get completely annihilated if we ever do get banned. But let's read some of these Super Chats. And again, make sure you smash that like button. Can I plug uh, AlienScientist.com? And also my YouTube channel is Alien Scientist on YouTube. We're, uh, we're trying to break 100,000 subscribers, and if you guys can help that happen, that would be awesome. Oh, nice. We're almost there. All right, we got some uh, super chats from people, and these are these are probably from uh, uh, remnants from other episodes. Carl Flynn says, "Tim, crew served means exactly that a weapon operated by a team, vice an individual. The term can apply to anything from an MMG to a howitzer." Interesting. David Young says, "Referring to how to fix things and create culture, get involved with Big Brothers, Big Sisters Org, or get involved with local orphanages. Children are our most precious commodity, and it takes all of you." I mean, literally, with no kids, there's no civilization. It's us. It's people, you know? Slanty Chauffeur Bear says, Temple of Nine Muses. Library of Alexandria burned, 47 BC. Defunded, 215 AD. War looted, 275 AD and 295 AD. Destroyed in an earthquake, 365 AD. The mythical 391 AD burning is a uh, conflagration with the demolition of the Shrine of Serapis. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah, that was cool. Thank you for that. Graboid Biden says, I have been rocking out to Tom McDonald all night. Also played Will of the People. I want to know why it doesn't have 10 million views. Um, well, I think Will of the People, to be completely honest, is just not a the kind of pop music that typically would get a million views. You know, there are some songs that are very serious and don't do that well. And there are some songs that are very, like, you know, orchestrated very well. To put it simply, depends on what you define as a good song. Is a good song a song that people will want to share and listen to over and over again? Because if that's your definition, Will of the People probably ain't it. If your definition of a good song is something that has meaning and is, you know, just makes you feel good and makes you want to listen and makes you want to play it, then it probably is. But certainly it's not in, uh, not for most people. I don't know. I kind of disagree. I think it's a pop hit. I, we just don't have a marketing firm like B was a BGM. Um getting it onto all the radio stations syndicated across the country yet. If we get on the radio stations, you'll see. There there are a ton of songs that, look, if the song was good enough, people would have shared it. That's that's all that matters. But we don't have radio presence yet. That's 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 not what I mean. I mean, look, there are, there are a lot of songs that shouldn't be popular. I mean, I remember going and listening to Nickelback, and I'm like, they just put that on the radio. Why? It's not even good exactly. music. They're, no, they're I'm not trying to be mean to Nickelback, but, you know, I don't like it. Like you're self-managed. Yeah, but listen, if the song was truly good, people would be sharing it, and then it would take off. That's just how it works. Like, look at Gangnam Style. Yeah. You know, it was it, 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 it still was clever marketing, but once people saw it, everybody kept sharing it because the song was fun and funny and people liked doing got, the, the horse riding dance You gotta do stuff. a dance, dance video. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. March of, 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 you know, executions or whatever. Okay. All right, here we go. KS says, Peter Schiff believes that Bitcoin is a bubble that will eventually burst, like the fiat USD will. It would be cool to hear him and, uh, and Andreas debate whether gold or DeFi will be the new USD. It'd be cool to have Peter Schiff on to talk about uh, Bitcoin, especially as we're looking at it nearing $50,000. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. I, 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 you know what? I'm so, I feel bad for some of my friends because I know a lot of people. I messaged, you know, a year ago, Bitcoin was at like, well, like seven grand or something. And I got friends and I got a lot of friends who, who have money to invest. And I said, just put it all in Bitcoin, buy a bunch of Bitcoin right now. And they were like, well, I don't know. We'll see. And I'm like, listen, I'm looking at what's going on in this world. And I'm telling you, buy Bitcoin. And they just, 
They want to do it. Go yeah. Deep. Last year, Bitcoin was around five thousand dollars. It's ten x basically. Yeah, and, and there's a lot wow. of people. I mean, uh, Peter Schiff really doesn't like Bitcoin. There's a lot of people saying, uh, ch- "Let's check in on Peter Schiff. Make sure, make sure he's okay." Because <laughs> 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 we're like, he was wrong on so many of these issues. So, we, we have a, so. we have a, we, have a, we got a good one right here. Evan G. D. says, Dr. Stephen Greer has been going live on Clubhouse and sharing his knowledge of anti-gravity ET crafts. They are not nuclear. Look into it. Very interesting. Um, I would invite Stephen Greer to uh, come on our show and and talk to our team of physicists about that and see what they have to say. Because I think we have the subject matter experts beyond what Stephen Greer has, because I know who's on his team and I I know who's on my team. Justin Jarchow asks for the alien scientist, do you believe Bob Lazar's story and do you believe Dr. Stephen Greer? Or are both BS artists? I think a lot of the stuff that's that's mainstream is off point. Um, of course, it w- I don't think like they're going to dangle the most popular stuff. Like my sh- my channel has been like super shadow banned. Uh, like I've never been able to reach those types of audiences. This is like my first breakthrough of of actually having you know a large audience. So I I mean thing with Bob Lazar is that we invite him to come on and present and we have so many other physicists with so much real actionable intelligence that we can actually build and test in our laboratory unlike the element 115 stuff that's you know it's it's what's there what's there for us to look at really I it's a story and uh, it's an interesting fascinating story it got me it got me interested in this watching Bob Lazar and unsolved mysteries back in the 90s getting getting these ideas or these seeds planted in your head is there you know government research being done on aliens or is there a secret base you know where they've had these things and sort of my research going through that has led me to some fascinating discoveries which are you know quite interesting um, like for instance, you know, the Roswell stuff, did you know that the allegedly the Roswell material went to Wright Patterson air force base after it was flown to Fort Worth, they did this Ramey memo with the, they, they posed in a, a press conference room with a weather balloon. And then apparently the real material went to Wright Patterson air force base and was studying in, in an underground facility at Wright Patterson. Apparently they had like a whole underground lab that was uh, underground city essentially built at Wright Patterson in the forties when they first built Wright Patterson airfield. And that they were doing research on this. And that's what led me to Battelle, because Battelle is literally 65 miles away from Dayton, Mm. Ohio, in Columbus, Ohio. They were the top metallurgists um, and one of the top military and industrial contractors at the time. Um, They would have been the perfect place. They would have been the only place that I would have sent metals for analysis if I was, you know, the military back then. You know, if I was the Air Force, that's the first place I would have sent. But what's interesting about Battelle is that um, we've shown that they run all our national labs. They're also a private corporation, which makes them inaccessible by FOIA. So all this research that they've done, going back to 38, you won't be able to find, you won't be able to get with FOIAs. And that's been one of the biggest problems in ufology is saying, well, if this material is real and Roswell is real, where's the material going? Where's the paperwork for it? Private companies? Private companies. There you go. We got another one here. We got Aaron Edwards. He says, my old roommate worked for SPA War and DARPA. We had, uh, he had $700 million budgets and DARPA have no budget limit per project. Both are part of the DOJ. No budget limit, huh? That's amazing. No bid contracts are a real oh, thing. Yep, oh, yeah. Yep. Um, Liquid Logic says, Tim, can you raise awareness that currently Nobel Prize nominee Julian Assange is being deprived of his winter clothing since October? People should contact governor of HMP Belmarsh Prison, Rob Davis. Absolutely. Delta Sly says, we need to re-pursue the research of lab-grown brain organoids and understanding the conscious without moral and ethical restrictions. Oof. Kind of with you on that one. 
I don't know. One thing that Bob Lazar didn't talk about about Area 51 was these things called foggles. Apparently, this this is a real thing that when you're outside on base at these secret facilities, you have to wear these uh, goggles on your head, which limit your vision. So you can't even see 20 feet in front of you. Everything's blurred out. Apparently, they use these on, on like, pilots and stuff. Um, one of the guys who, first guy who talked about that was actually a friend of mine. I, when I started getting into this, I, um, back in, like, 2004, I watched this documentary by this guy named Edgar Fouché um, talking about, you know, he, he worked at Area 51. And I made a bunch of videos on this, and I started talking about it. And, and a guy who knew him actually put me in touch with this guy, who was a former Area 51 employee out at the base. And I be, became friends with him and worked, like, kind of, I talked to him, like, every day for, like, a period of, like, five, six years with this guy, Ed Fouché, but he was the first person to talk about metamaterials and quasi-crystals being part of this research. And that was back in 1998, before like anyone was talking about these materials, which is super fascinating. So I started researching metamaterials. And, you know, of course, you find out that they're used for invisibility, stealth and cloaking technology, which why wouldn't they be interested in that? That's an obvious one. But then the other thing with these quasi-crystals, these aperiodic um, crystals, and Veritasium channel did a thing on those aperiodic tilings and showed how, you know, these symmetries, they're, they're like things that you look at them up close and they don't have any symmetry, but you zoom way out and they suddenly have these symmetries. And they're... They're very interesting. One of the guy, the guy who won the Nobel Prize for quasi crystals is a is a guy from Israel's Technion University named Daniel Schechtman, and after he graduated with his material science degree from Technion, he went and did a postdoc at Wright Patterson Air Force Base. <laughs> very interesting. All right, we got James that a fourteen year old built a nuclear reactor in their garage in New York. Google it. I heard about that. Yep, we've yeah. heard about that. We got we got to invest in these young kids, man. All those new billionaires that got a bunch of money in Bitcoin. There's this is lots of opportunity to become trillionaires. Uh, the first person that does yeah. asteroid mining is going to become the world's first trillionaire, and that's what we need to move towards because that's what's going to launch us to this post scarcity society that we're trying to get to, where we don't have money anymore. We don't have like there's no concept of that. In the, in the future, in the Star Trek society, anyways. There's no need for politicians either. We need to get rid of politicians altogether. Oh, I pseudoscience pseudo says, yeah. <laughs> pseudoscience says, hey guys, scientist here. In industrial science, companies file patents because a tech will become or is already well known. This allows them to sue for infringement. Otherwise, you'd keep it a secret. Yep. Johnny Arson, with a more pessimistic and sad comment, says, the universe hasn't contacted us for a reason. My guess? We are an invasive species. They dumped us here. Earth is our prison. Johnny, universe talk about a negative Nancy right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> prison planet. This right. is your contact. We're All not right. allowed to leave. Matt Hatter says, I looked up the patent for the inertial mass reduction device, and its design is almost identical in form and use to the EM drive, a sealed conical resonant cavity with microwave emitters pointed into it. Weird coincidence? Yeah, so EM drive. Uh, so there's a couple interesting scientists you could look up. Uh, one's um, Woodward, the Woodward effect. Um, he runs the Estes Park Conference, James Woodward. Uh, and that's, we invited all those guys to, to APAC and stuff. But also uh, Mike McCulloch, there's a, there's a company in the UK. Uh, he's from Plymouth University. He's written, he's got a quantizedinertia.com. And he's got a whole bunch of papers on there that he's written, and he's kind of going after that M drive thing. And there's a ton of DARPA funding for M drive. Like we said, that, that there's, we, I, like I said, that $500,000 on pays isn't the only thing going EM on. EM drives are interesting. It's like just a piece of metal that gets vibrated by, what is it, background radiation, then it produces thrust? It's a conical cavity, and apparently this, um, it's, on, it's an asymmetric field that's produced on one side through, this, uh, through, through these forces, and uh, it creates a push. And 
you know, it gets rid of his theories, get rid of the, the need for dark matter. It gets rid of, you know, um, dark matter. It explains it as something else. Um, dark matter is kind of an, a very big controversy in physics right now. There's billions of dollars being put into the hunt for dark matter to try and, you know, discover where, you know, prove dark matter is real. The only thing we've gotten close was, uh, you know, the Nobel Prize was given out for this gravitational lensing, apparently, from dark matter and stuff. But I still have, I still don't know that there is a hardcore proof of dark matter. And we've wasted so much money looking for dark matter instead of pursuing other theories like this M drive, which could lead to new propulsion technologies. I got, I got a question for you. It's kind of interesting. As uh, uh, someone who doesn't know as much, but I read somewhere, something about there should be like an equal amount of antimatter in the universe. Right. Yeah, that's the kind of idea is that the dark, it's dark matter. There's this missing matter from the puzzle. And um, Is that this, what, what they mean by dark matter with antimatter? Antimatter and dark matter are different. This goes back to, you know, Dirac, uh, what Dirac called Dirac holes. Uh, he, it's basically a missing point in the, in the physics and in the equations. And he, he was the first person to actually predict dark uh, antimatter sorry, antimatter, before it was discovered. But we've, we have discovered antimatter, and it's sort of like a fact of nature that, you know, we have all these particles, and each particle has an, its own antiparticle as well that exists. And so there's been a lot of experiments with antimatter. Uh, there's a guy named Daniel Kaplan who's doing some uh, research into muonium, which is anti-muons, and an uh, exotic atom that forms with an anti-muon and an electron. It creates an, an a, like a what's almost like an atom. It's like it's like a proton, but, but instead of the nucleus being a proton, it's actually an anti muon, and it kind of has these its own weird properties. But they're trying to produce these and see if they actually fall up in a vacuum because they still don't know whether antimatter falls up or down. But they predict <laughs> that it will fall down. Interesting. All right, we got Timothy May says, "Would you please ask him about water purification using electromagnetism, soft destable ionic bonds stuck on filtration." Working on it since 2003. Yeah. I'm in New Mexico with beef with Los Angeles, Los Alamos Labs. Ask him if he's ever heard of uh, shungite. It was a material that was discovered, I think, by um, Henry the Great. or, or It was one of these um, guys over in, uh, there was a deposit of this material called shungite, and they would use it for water purification. Like the army was using, their ar military was using this material that they'd mine and using it for uh, water pur purification. And they actually found out the, sh the shungite contained uh, fullerenes, which are, you know, bucky balls or bucky tubes. Oh, interesting. And that, that, that's why it had the, the such amazing water filtration properties. But there's a number of companies working on this, including uh, Justin Tipping Hall, uh, right in Connecticut, um, of Nano Holdings. And Nano Holdings are, are working on a lot of water filtration technologies and stuff like that. So we we have a very good super chat from Sequitur Tenebris, who said, truck driver here, plenty of secret government facilities around the country, both above and below, and they are very selective of which of which of us deliver, uh, of which of us deliver. Oh. And we have a code of silence with locations. This is the holdup on uh, on AI trucks. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. I believe it. That makes a lot of sense. And I want to believe it because I want to believe that there's more out there and life isn't oh, so boring. There's huh? more out there. You ever see those submarines that like go under... They'll come in the coast and then they'll just go into the coast, like go no. under. So yeah. I got an interesting <laughs> um, tunnel th conspiracy theory that I'm trying to investigate right now. I've been going off about the Wright State tunnels. Um, Wright, Wright State? So Wright State is a university that was built right next to Wright, the original Wright-Patterson Air Force Base before oh, okay. the new Wright-Patterson Air Force was ba Base was built up north. But apparently there's a whole tunnel system that connects all the buildings. There's 1.8 miles of tunnels that connect all the buildings under Wright State University. And there's... 
conspiracy theories that go around with all the students there that um, say that there's aliens down there, that these tunnels were used for government research into aliens and stuff. Which is kind of interesting because uh, the first the first building that was built according to the uh, sites uh, Wright, Wright State University's official website is actually called Alien Hall A Allen Hall A L L Y N Alien Hall, which is kind of uh, I thought was an, an interesting play on words. But um, according to their official story, these were HVAC tunnels underneath the school that they had to, that they remodeled into pedestrian tunnels. But I don't understand why they'd need HVAC tunnels big enough to drive a car through doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And uh, there's a lot of theories that this was part of an old facility and that, you know, that there's a wall behind the wall. So we're kind of want to do an investigation like one of those UFO hunters shows where we go to Wright State and see if there's indeed, you know, this something hidden in those tunnels under there. That's a crap ton of tunnels that the United States government was building because of the Cold War. So they exist. And I'd I'd imagine, you know, the reality is... They're doing research, top secret research. We know the Manhattan Project was real. And they're researching weapons. Aliens is a good cover. It makes it sound crazy. It makes people think, ah, oh, you're nuts, and they disregard it. And then you don't really know what they're working on. Right. They they said a lot of the UFOs were stories were spread. There's a movie called Mirage Men, which actually takes the position that uh, most of the UFOs and alien stories were actually spread by the CIA to cover up um, the technologies that they were working on. Makes so a that lot of sense. People yeah. see this craft flying around. They're like aliens. What better way to, to hide it? Bruno Rodriguez says, physicist, I want Bob Lazar to be interviewed by a real scientist. Me. Take my money. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Jensen Zager says, as said in Archer. You think there's problems in the Middle East now? Wait until the oil is useless. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was hinting at that, uh, especially when I was talking about Saudi Arabia and the petrodollar. It's coming, and it's going to get nasty. I want to protect yeah. those people. I'm obsessed with building, like, solar-powered water condensation around the desert. Like, our military, I think we should use it to, to build like, water for other countries. Saudi Arabia is trying to transition from an oil economy to a tourism tech, uh, economy, and it's not working, <laughs> and it's not going to work. Yeah, that's... Yeah, listen, yeah. I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but there's some civil rights issues yeah, that I'm not, not want to go to Arabia. that country. Yeah, yeah. It's not uh, LGBTQ-friendly, So, so it, Very interesting. Let's bring this up. We have a super chat from Robert Miller who said, Saudi Arabia is massively investing in green technology. So that's actually a bad example since they clearly see the handwriting on the wall and are making massive investments in green. Like I said, Saudi Arabia's university over there has some really interesting papers and a whole team that's working on like these nanotechnologies and and this kind of stuff, these photonic materials. Where they are in the world, they're screwed. As soon as people stop buying their oil, they're screwed. Yeah, it's going to get bad. Adrian says, Tim, Keanu Reeves in a movie called Chain Reaction. He was hunted by oil tycoons for using hydrogen fusion to replace fossil fuels. I remember that movie. It. it was like a murder, and then he's like on the run, he's on a motorcycle and stuff. All right, let's see. Uh, what else do we have here? John Doe says, some scientists found an application for graphene where they were able to generate electricity by harnessing free energy. Could this be combined with cold fusion to generate electricity instead? See Science Daily for an article. I think the Science Daily article you're talking about is either magic angle graphene, and there's a couple other applications of graphene where they, they, they create graphene sandwiches, where they put like a layer of superconductor between two layers of graphene, or they put a layer of um, a different type of material between two layers of graphene, and there's a lot perovskites. That's the other one that they've done. They put a layer of perovskite. So there's a lot of interesting what is, research. What is perovskite? A perovskite is, well, it's a German, uh, I'm not in Russian uh, term for a, um, it's a, it's a type of, um, 
it's a type of material that conducts protons um, and, and, and produces, uh, it, has, it has a strange quantum behaviors and quantum effects. And, uh, All right, we got this from the Scott 16. It says, the highest level conspiracy theory. Every single conspiracy theory that we know or will know are false because we are allowed to know them. Dun, dun, dun. Every single one. DJ Madero says, the German brothers we named Horton. Yeah, Horton they were, brothers. They were the builders of the Goth 229 flying wing design. The operation to steal the Nazi scientist was uh, was codenamed Paperclip. P.S. Became a TimCast patron last month. Do you mean a member at TimCast.com? I, I, I have a defunct Patreon. You, sh- you guys shouldn't use it. And do not be confused. If you uh, pay for this channel, I think people can donate to this channel, right? Monthly and become like a paid subscriber. Of no. Tim- oh, no? Okay. Yeah, let's go to TimCast.com. People were doing that and thought they were signing up for the website. Hey, yep. real, before we go to the next chat. You mentioned Al Kubier warp drive earlier, the yes. inventor of the, and then you you start talking about uh, Battelle. Did they suppress his warp drive technology in the fifties? Uh, so this was in the nineteen seventies because it was after Star Trek was nineteen like sixty, you know, uh, I think sixty eight or sixty nine or whatever. I don't remember the when Star Trek started. So this was this was nineteen seventies that Al Kubier published that paper. It was not suppressed. Um, in fact, NASA, uh, Sonny White of NASA's Advanced Concepts Research Office, like he's been writing papers on this and he's actually been presenting it at like Estes Park and a lot of these other conferences and has a lot of work that NASA is doing on this with the. Um, it's the Starship program. The, the, there's, a, there's a program that they're working on at, with NASA um, right now with Sonny, Sonny White is the guy's name, Harold White. And uh, so, so, no, it hasn't been suppressed. Um, it's not just not talked about. The part that has been per- suppressed is the material science and how to actually achieve it. So the theoretic part is fine, but when you're talking about actually building it and doing it, that part is suppressed. So that would that would belong to um, a guy named John Archibald Wheeler, who we talked about, um, who who had written a lot of stuff with Einstein and and stuff. And Wheeler did a lot of classified work for Battelle. We have his FBI file. It's quite interesting. He actually left a he actually left a whole notebook full of all of our H bomb secrets on a train one time. <laughs> wow, Mark. Oh. All right, we got to go in here. Paul Luckett but, says. But yeah, he was involved in, in squeeze light research. We just found out recently back in 1985, the, the, the stuff that um, University of Rochester is doing with uh, what's called uh, pol- polariton condensates or, or surface plasmon polaritons. That's the research you can look up. We got one from Paul Luckett. He says, propulsion is only one small part of the space travel problem. We need huge advancements in every other area of spaceship design. The human body doesn't do very well in space for extended periods. Yep. I've been thinking a lot about having a lot of drones. You know how birds fly in a flock together? And you can build drones to kind of do the same thing where they all move in tandem. They can, like, create shapes in we, space with little laser-like things so they can all work together to build giant craft at once. We have a very important super chat. Yeah. I have to read it. Sorry if I'm interrupting. But Jonathan Munt says, my grandfather was a top judge for the Air Force at Wright-Patterson in charge of contract negotiations. What questions should I ask? He is dying. Do you have an email? Oh, please email the alien scientist at gmail.com. Like, get in touch with me. I would, I'll come out there and interview him because I'm going out to Wright State soon. I'm going out to Ohio to go do this investigation of the tunnel system. And I would love to meet up with you and, and, and get that. And that's Jonathan yes. Muntz. Absolutely. Awesome. That's, that's great. Al says aliens took over the government. Why do you think they want everyone to do <laughs> butt swaps? I knew it. <laughs> But, uh, I just they don't it. have to abduct anyone for it anymore. So, uh, in China, you heard that, right? Interesting theory. For, for COVID now, twistings. Yes. Uh, yep. Wow. Hmm. 
Here's a good one. Will Dawson says, hey, I watched your video about TB12 and Kaepernick. Great video. Kaepernick was ruined by Chip Kelly in the 2015-16 NFL seasons. Tom Brady is the undisputed GOAT. There we go. Level 99 Mastermind says, we did it, lads. Florida man was caught at the Super Bowl. Was it the guy who, like, put his, pulled his pants down and was running around? Do you see that? In a onesie? Florida yeah, guy. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is cool. John Wright says, hey, guys, I live in eastern Washington, and the history of the Manhattan Project is really interesting. If you ever head out this way, uh, if you ever head out this way to your the B reactor, B reactor, let me know. You can use my land as a base. That's cool. Hey, we're looking for a place to hold host a ranch and then, you know, start a project to move to. We can all like work on this together. I've been seeing a lot of people have been talking about this idea for a while uh, of a grassroots effort to actually pull people together and build stuff. We have a couple labs right now. I'm working with a lab. I'm probably going to stop in New Jersey on the way back to our um, Falcon Labs um, with uh, our, my friend Mark and do some more research on this Alzafon experiment we're building at that lab currently. But uh, we're definitely trying to get hooked up with more researchers, more labs, more scientists who are passionate about this and, and interested in, in pursuing this type of technology. And uh, that's definitely something we should talk about. Charlie in Charge says the Akashic Records is the name of the theorized force that people like Tesla tap into for their huge leaps in knowledge. I highly recommend learning about it as it's really it's a really interesting topic. Have you guys ever heard of that? Yes. I don't know much about it, but that's Gene Roddenberry maybe tapped into that too. And who the else? Akashic, the Kashic records. Akashic it's like, records. It's like when if we talk about this the other mm. night on the bonus segment, how like God or whatever that light energy is, we're transmitting energy to it and that it's trying to transmit energy to us, but we're like having a hard time receiving it. Usually we're like desensitized, but if you can somehow receive that energy, that information that it can write information in your brain, maybe this one. Oh God, do it. That's kind of reminds me of this idea of, you know, that's kind of what I did with alien scientists. The idea behind an alien scientist is that I created this idea of something. It's kind of like what I call channeling, you know, where we say like, we're going to, we're going to envision, I'm going to channel this God and I'm going to vicariously live through my, this God through myself. And, and, and that gives you God-like powers because you're able to start putting your mind in a different sort of a way of thinking about things. So this is way, this is like a, a practice that I, I, I do a lot with uh, trying to, you know, envision what aliens are thinking, how their physics works. And, and it's, it's definitely, I definitely gotten some downloads in my dreams. I must say, I, in fact, I got one a couple of weeks ago. That was pretty, pretty intense. We talked about it. All right. We got Will, Will Billy, the hillbilly says, what do you think of graphene? Is it a overhyped technology or is it the future magic material? Graphene is certainly um, a magic material. Carbon is is very interesting. There's a lot of other interesting materials though we're talking about. So like um, one is uh, I put a link in the in, the, in that list I gave you. It was called hydrodicarb hydrodicarbine. Um, it's basically like a three D printable diamond that they're able wow. to, they can actually three D print diamond. Um, is that what they do? With, they use like neon gas. It's uh, it's a, it's like a liquid pol. It's like a liquid polymer that actually hardens of some kind. It's just it's like the the diamonds dissolved in this other um, carrying agent, and then that that evaporates and it leaves behind this crystal structure that wow. forms into diamond somehow. Um, that's an interesting technology. Uh, but again, there's lots of other materials out there, not just graphene. Uh, one of the ones is metallic glass uh, or amorphous metals. That's another really interesting one. They're they're basically it's. It, a glass is formed um, by like things that cool too. It doesn't actually harden into a, a crystal. 
So when you cool things really quickly, it doesn't get to crystallize. It just forms this uh, amorphous blob of, of, and that turns out that it has really interesting properties for these materials. So these metallic glasses, um, there's a whole video on, on metallic glass. They, they're doing laser etching and polishing of it to create these, you know, surfaces which are amiable to the, the environments. So they, 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 actually, they can actually make this stuff hydrophobic and hydrophilic by etching it with lasers. Just by changing, like, these micros, the nanosurface structure of these materials, it actually changes the physical properties and gives them completely different properties. What happens if it's hydrophobic and hydrophilic? What does that mean exactly? So it's it's like um, water pools up on it and goes off it, or like you can actually like put it on. It doesn't get wet. You can put it underwater and pull it out. Um, I think I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the full de- the difference is between hydrophilic and hydrophobic. Um, one 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 holds the water and one's rejects the water. I'd so imagine. it could either absorb or reject the water. Does it absorb? It's like, like a hydrophobic surface. The water just bounces off. Yeah, and hydrophilic. Yeah, just, does that mean it absorbs? Um, I imagine. I don't know. I need a, no, I need I, a, we'll, we'll, I gotta we'll, re, re- brush up it. on my side. I'm not an okay. I'm not a subject matter expert on this. But I kind of just da- I dabble in a lot of stuff. So I, metallic I, glass. Can you metallic alloy glass metallic with, glass with graphene? One of the interesting things. One of, the the main Mar- Marcel Major Marcel, the main guy from Roswell. Okay, on his deathbed and and, and in a 1985 interview, he said that it wasn't a weather balloon. It was a material that he couldn't bend or break that he could fold it up into a ball and then let it go on the table and it would uncrinkle itself and fold itself out mirror smooth again. Hmm. Now we have no, of no such material like that, but the closest thing that we have currently is metallic glass because it has this ability. Like it's like, a. But he was me- saying it would fold and hold memory foil, the memory foil from, yeah. from Roswell. There's a bunch of people who describe this metal and a bunch of people, even material scientists from Wright Patterson who said that they worked on this type of material. Even a guy from the U S Navy who said he had a piece of this in, in, wow. in his laboratory. So they, they tried to drill through it and they couldn't drill through it with a carbide bit. They wouldn't even drill through this this thin foil material. And um, the only way you can think of, we have stuff like this. We have uncuttable materials. And the way that we build those is to actually heat up the blade and destroy the blade before it destroys the material. It heats, it, it, like it, act, it does an action right. where it will heat up so hot that it will Friction. destroy the blade so that you won't be able to cut it because it destroys mm. your blade. Yeah. Interesting. Um, interesting stuff, but that's the closest thing we have right now. So there's not just graphene. There's a lot of materials out there. Here we go. Titan Tech says, hey, Tim, been watching for a while. Normally, I love the political content, but this content is way more interesting. Makes me forget about all the awful stuff going on these days. This was Ian's episode. I certainly think so. It was Jeremy Riss's episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ian's Jeremy, the guy that got me here, yeah, though, really. I, Jeremy I, and I, I've had the fortune of working with Jeremy for like two, two and a half years now. I've been watching your stuff like on YouTube since 2010. When you started talking about quasi-crystals, I really, that, that perked my ears up and realizing, whoa, okay. If we're really going to focus on solutions... This is the way to go. It's the science. Here we go. Yvonne Lee says, interesting show tonight. Ian was like a nerd in a nerd store. Loved it. <laughs> Jeremy, anyone told you you look like Pablo Schreiber? Never heard that one before. I heard Fox Mulder. I've heard the scout from <laughs> Team Fortress 2. Yeah, um, there you, you go. That one. <laughs> he definitely does. All right, let's just, we'll, we'll, we'll grab one more right here. Well, maybe, maybe one more after, but we'll see. Pseudo Signs says, great show. One more thing. Most tech and chemical companies ask you to sign over rights to patents made under their employee. Sucks, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, like Microsoft and a lot of these companies, they say like uh, Apple was one of them. They said like, you know, whatever you invent while you're an employee of us uh, is a result of the, you know, intellectual experiences that you gain through being access to our, our great company. And so we own anything that you invent. And that's like even if you go home at the end of the day and write something in your basement, they still want that if you're employed. Yep, yep. yep. 
All right, here, we'll do one more. Stormman says, Tim, World War One was not started for what think. It was started to put the world into oil because it was cheap. World War One also stopped all research on free energy. Is that true? They stopped energy, free energy research? No. There's lots of free energy research going on yeah. and it goes on I've to seen this all day. I've seen <laughs> all those YouTube videos where the guy has the... You know, what's that thing called where it's like they're jars with liquid in it and then the wheel spins and then the, 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 the water drops and then it makes the weight? You know what I mean? You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But those things, that's not, that's not real though, I'd imagine, right? I've never seen one that, that works. Like we, you know, if they got one that's real... Well. There was one, one interesting video I watched a long time ago where it was actually, I think, from an honest person where they were explaining how to create a, air quote, perpetual motion. But what they said was it simply worked by absorbing sunlight and then, you know, heating and cooling metal. So one side would, you know, become lighter or hotter because of the sunlight. And the other side would go into a shaded area based on the way that they, they built it. And that could actually make movement. But they, they were like, basically, I just made a really crappy solar well, wheel. When you talk about um, light matter coupling, what do you think photosynthesis is? Yeah. Plants... Eating that sunlight. It's plants doing this. All right. Okay, so we make machines that can do that. They're already making artificial leaves. They're already making I machines mean, we have solar that can panels, do this. Bro. You know, yeah, so we have solar yeah, panels. Yeah, you talked about using magnesium as the body of a craft, potentially, and that's the, that's the atom that's at the center of every chlorophyll molecule. We talk about magnesium. Yeah, magnesium is an interesting thing. It's uh, no, what is it? What not magnesium? It's bismuth. Actually, bismuth is that uh, has the highest diamagnetism. It's like the highest spin of any um, of any element. And so, if we're kind of like you, kind of think of it as like a pendulum or a flywheel in this material. And if we get a, a sheet of this bismuth, because it, it has this highest diamagnetism, it's really great to build waveguides out of this material because it's. It, it reacts so quickly and so readily to spin more fast, more quickly than any other element on the periodic table. So, Interesting. So, well, not magnesium. <clears throat> I don't know. But they had but magnesium layers. So they had, a, they had this layer of metamaterial, apparently, um, that was given to, um, it was came from Art's parts. This came from like uh, Art Bell on Coast to Coast. He had gotten like material sent to him by viewers at Coast to Coast who were like, look, I have pieces of Roswell debris. Let me send it to you. So if, he, any, if anybody has pieces of Roswell debris that they can legally send me, P.O. Box on the website? I yeah. think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll figure it out. Uh, yeah. Why? So apparently no Jack Vallee, <laughs> Jack Vallee has some pieces of this stuff, and that's what he brought to Gary Nolan's lab and, and is doing tests on and stuff. And um, apparently they had some of this material and they destructive analysis doesn't work if you were talking about an atomically structured material that's made out of like that's made on the atomic level like these uh, uh, where we're talking about photonic crystals and photonic circuits this is where we're going technologically with uh with our electronics currently is is bridging what's called the the terahertz gap so there's a, actually a gap in the electromagnetic spectrum that we can't really interact with and it's called the terahertz gap and it's on the level of wavelengths that are where matter is and what matter what the wavelengths that correspond to the sizes of, of material objects of all the all the elements on this table, and when we once we do that, it's called a, it's going to be like a merger of electronics with uh, photonics, and there's going to be there's going to be a replacement of all our technology. We're not going to be using electronic devices. We're going to be using more um, quantum based devices that that rely on uh, photonic effects. In fact, there's already electret microphones in your cell phone. In your cell phone, it has an electret microphone. The microphone in your cell phone works on on this sort of so, like more solid state physics technology as opposed to the the old school condenser microphones mm. that we're we're working through here which are older technology 
So you, you know, very, very interesting. Just to wrap it around, you had yeah. a bismuth layer, but a magnesium layer underneath. Yeah. The so that material. So that material. Back to that material from the, the Art Bell stuff. So they sent this material apparently to the U.S. Army for and got a uh, this Creta agreement with the U.S. Army where they sent this material off for analysis, and supposedly the U.S. Army is going to tell us stuff about it. But they have pictures of this material, and it's got. They show us the micron layer of, of of this, and it's magnesium layers and bismuth layers in this material with um, monatomic iridium, I guess, on the very surface. Um, and that's sort of a material we're interested in trying to attempt to create, looking at different manufacturers that can create this material so that we could test it in our lab. But again, I I don't know. You know, if that is really alien technology or an alien metal, that would be super interesting. And I'm definitely interested in, in studying that kind of stuff. If Read it. Well, Jeremy. Looking into it, you know. This is uh, a lot of people in the chat are like, Tim's trying so hard to end the podcast. I know. I keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, thanks for hanging out. You said a lot of words uh, I didn't understand. And that's kind of the point. Um, I think I, I, I grasped enough of it. I think we had a pretty good conversation. So thanks for hanging out. For those that are listening, smash that like button on your way out. Go to TimCast.com. Become a member. And we will have a bonus segment coming up. So thank you all so much. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Minds at TimCast. My other YouTube channels are YouTube.com slash TimCast. YouTube.com slash TimCast News. We are live Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. And uh, again, TimCast.com, become a member. Jeremy, is there anything you want to mention? Yeah, if you're interested in science, you go to AlienScientist.com, YouTube, AlienScientist, also AmericanAntigravity.com. Um, that's what we're working with, uh, Tim. We have a conference coming up this weekend. We're going to have a guy from Boeing, and we're going to have a guy from Airbus on to talk about their research into antigravity. Wow. And so, cool. Uh, it's, it's, it's happening, bro. We're getting more people emboldening them, letting them. It's okay to come out of the woodwork. It's okay. To, to, to release this to the public now. It's in better hands with the public than it, it, it could ever be with the corrupt, horrible politicians that are in control right now. Right on. You know, even though I didn't understand the majority of what you said, it's very refreshing to have this conversation, and I'm happy we're talking about this and not CNN, again, uh, ragging on the QAnon shaman and his organic food, which again? they just wrote a piece about right now, and it's oh frustrating. Gosh. And it was really interesting and thought-provoking. It was great to see Ian having his moments. And, of course, thank you guys for joining us. If you want to support me and what I do, you can by purchasing the shirt that I'm wearing right now that says, FYI, the government is way deadlier than any virus. And you could get that shirt on thebestpoliticalshirts.com. I'm also a YouTuber. My channel is We Are Change, and I release videos Monday through Friday. We Are Change. See you there. Thanks for having me. I will say Luke's shirts are very comfortable. I did. I got one. <laughs> Tested it out. Is it's it just Teespring? I don't know. No, Jesus. we're using a, a, oh. another company. A, a guy just messaged me on Instagram. You switched. And he's like, hey, I hear you're getting a lot of your shirts censored. So <laughs> all the shirts are back up and all the cool. crazy ones are coming back even in the next few days. Back. And we got some wild ones coming. Send my personal thanks to that yeah. guy because his shirts are great. Yeah. Um, we, we got oh. some we can't even wear on the show. Yeah. So just saying. The bonus spicy. segment. Yeah. I want to give a special shout out to Graphene. My long lost <laughs> love. I will forever love you. 2029 peak Graphene. So get ready for it. Jeremy, thanks so much for coming, man. Tim, Luke, Lydia. I didn't get to mention quantum radar. We'll have to do a bonus <gasps> segment about that. Yeah, what is well. it? Quantum radar is, is basically like radar, but you entangle your photons so that you can tell if, if you can see invisible things. Oh, interesting. And cool. apparently the military, there's an article you can look up called The Short Life of Quantum Radar. And it talks about how they built this system, deployed it to the military, and they received too many false positives. Right. So they took it out. It was then, too good. They were like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. We just but, opened up the sky to all the invisible stuff flying around out there. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, before I forget, ship, ship. let me, let me uh, shout out my uh, Ian at Ian Crossland. You can follow me on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, yeah. Minds, and Instagram, and also on Twitch.tv. It was great to finally meet all you guys. Thank you so much for this. You guys rock. Yeah, yeah. 
And I am Sour Patch Lids. You can find me on Twitter and Minds, and you can find me at Real Sour Patch Lids on Gab and Instagram. Go to TimCast.com, become a member if you want to watch more members-only content. It is just you scroll down, you go to the website, you scroll down a little bit, it says members-only. There's a bunch of posts. We even have full episodes. There's two full bonus episodes. One's an hour long, talking about religion. Most are like 10 to 15 minutes, but we will have more coming up soon, so we will see you all there, and thank you all so much for hanging out. Bye, guys.